Welcome. Welcome to Fearless. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Tuesday to you and yours. Uh, I'm so glad we made it through Monday and it's Tuesday. It's the day before Wednesday. And we have a fantastic and awesome show planned for you, a special edition of Fearless. It's our second cookout edition of Fearless. And I'm joined by more than a dozen patriots and Steve Dace uh, <laughs> is, is here with me as well. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson uh, sitting to my right, probably your left. I don't know how you're looking on TV. Steve Dace uh, sitting to my left. Uh, they're here to help me and to have us have a conversation about the vaccine and vaccine injuries and the way America handled COVID. A lot of people are in denial about the ramifications of the way we handled this health crisis, pandemic, virus. A lot of people don't want to deal with the fact that people have been harmed by this. People have lost jobs. People have had their health damaged. People have had their reputations ruined. People have made great sacrifices in standing up against the establishment and the corporations and big pharma and the politicians and the globalists who have pushed this vaccine and have pushed this chaotic, irresponsible response to the COVID virus, we don't want to deal with the damage that has been done. We're going to deal with it today. Bunch of people have come to Nashville to help me unpack this story. Steve Dace is here because as anybody that watches The Blaze or anybody that's paid attention, Steve is, in my opinion, the foremost media authority on COVID and the way America has handled this situation. There are probably some people that are a bit more popular in corporate and mainstream America, but Steve was first out with the Faucian bargain and basically was the intellectual brains behind a lot of people who were early criticizing the way America handled this. Steve and Daniel Horowitz have now written a second book, The Rise of the Fourth Reich, talking about our irresponsible response to the COVID deal. Steve's here as my crutch. Anybody that's watched this show knows that I've talked about the vaccine, I've talked about our response, but not from a place of authority and research and extreme knowledge. I use my instincts and my faith in God in my decision on how I handle the vaccine. I just don't think man is smarter than God and our natural immune system. And so I started, as you guys have watched me on this show, I started exercising and losing weight and leaning into faith and prayer that was my response. That was just all instincts and faith. Steve has those same instincts and faith, but he's also done a lot of research. And so he's here to help me walk through these interviews that we're going to do with a series of people, including Ron Johnson, who I think is clearly our most outspoken, powerful politician on what's going on with the vaccine. Robert Kennedy Jr. is here as well, and you'll hear from him shortly. Robert Kennedy Jr. has risked his reputation and friendships to be a true patriot and a fighter against the way we've handled the vaccine and the COVID pandemic. Can't wait to hear from him. 
We have people from the sports world included. We're, we're, I got to say I'm disappointed. I was promised Carl Malone. We had to settle for John Stockton <laughs> instead. Uh, John Stockton's here. You guys know what happened to him uh, with Gonzaga, and John's been very outspoken and courageous. He's come here from Utah. Uh, we have a former Navy SEAL, Steve Kaplan. He's here. He's going to unpack his story. Nick Rolovich, head football coach at Washington State University, asked for a religious exemption from the vaccine, was denied that and run out of a job as the head coach uh, at Washington State University because of his refusal to take the vaccine. He's here. Beth Faber, longtime ESPN employee, Chris Singleton, former Major League Baseball player and ESPN employee, Ken Rutgers, former NFL player, former first-round draft pick of the Green Bay Packers. His wife has been injured by the COVID experimental medical trial called a vaccine. Am, am I forgetting anybody? Uh, oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Joel Walls Cog, a doctor from Milwaukee, is here as well. Joel, injured by the experimental medical trial, vaccine, whatever has cost himself. The, the vaccine and the injury cost him a lot, a ton of money. His practice, he's a true American patriot. Can't wait for him to unpack his story. But we're going to start with uh, one of the most, 100 most powerful men in America, Ron Johnson, U.S. Senator uh, from the state of Wisconsin. Ron, thank you so much uh, for, for, for being here. And I'm going to start with, with this, that where we are now, where everybody knows that we've handled this inappropriately and that the government promoted an experimental medical trial that has damaged Americans and that our, our lack of an early treatment program and response, take the vaccine, don't, don't hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, that's all bad, bad. And now that's all been proven wrong. Why is it that you and Rand Paul seem to be the only politicians willing to stick your necks out and talk about this? Well, first of all, J Jason, thank you for putting together this forum. Uh, I think these are extremely important discussions to have so the American people can hear the truth. Uh, but, but I'll challenge you right off the bat there. You said, now that we all know, uh, that's not true. There is an enormous and pervasive state of denial in this country. Uh, basic human tendency, people don't want to admit they were wrong. So the federal health agencies that shut down our economy, unlike Sweden, uh, people that not only ignored early treatment, but sabotaged it uh, with almost a maniacal uh, focus so solely on vaccines, vaccines, vaccines. Uh, the people that pushed these vaccines, even though their own safety surveillance systems were screaming at them, saying, maybe slow down, maybe exercise some caution here. Forced it on individuals, uh, mandated it. Uh, forced it onto our, not forced, but uh, uh, approved it for use in children who really, you know, had virtually no risk of serious harm from COVID. Uh, so none of these people want to admit they were wrong. Members of Congress, they did videos telling their constituents to get vaccinated. Doctors push vaccinations on their children. 
Nobody wants to admit that something they recommended might have killed somebody or permanently disabled them or uh, paralyzed them or created these neurological problems, uh, creating all these sports injuries. So no, the, the, the bottom line is we have, I think, a, a large segment of the, of the population, I would say more than a majority, that are just simply in a state of denial. If, if you got the vaccine, the, the last thing you want to even hear about is that maybe there's some ticking time bomb. Now, now I think the good news is that there have been literally something like you know, 600 million doses in America. And even though the numbers are large, you know, about a million and a half adverse events on Bayer's system, over 33,000 deaths reported. By the way, 26% of those are occurring on day zero, one, or two. It certainly would concern me. I don't know why it doesn't concern the, the Fauci's of the world and people in the federal health agencies. But the vast majority of people that did get those doses, they didn't experience an adverse event. But to put things in perspective, the swine flu vaccine back in 1976, about 45 million doses were administered. Uh, somewhere between four and 500 cases of Guillain-Barre disease, you know, neurological disorder, a couple dozen deaths, that vaccine program was shut down. And here we are today, uh, by March of 2021, three months into the vaccination, we already had over 4,000 deaths. At that time, over 40% were occurring on day zero, one, or two. And when I asked Francis Collins in person about, you know, are you looking at your VAERS system? Are you, are you concerned about what that is showing you? His, his reaction was basically blowing me off, blowing me off, says, well, Senator, people die. So a, a long senatorial answer to your question is, there is not general agreement uh, in this country or throughout the world. The people who push this, they have all the power. I call them the COVID cartel. You know, now it's the Biden administration, the federal health agencies, uh, big pharma, uh, who have captured the agencies as well as our media. I mean, take a look at all the all the shows sponsored by Pfizer and big tech. So that's the COVID cartel. They have so mishandled this pandemic in general. Our responses was a miserable failure. And they've been pushing these vaccines. They can't afford to be proven wrong. They can't afford to be exposed. I, I think I know where Steve stands on this, but let me ask this follow-up, Steve, and then I want you to jump in. If you, you call it the COVID cartel, and so for someone like me and maybe a republic, we can hear cartel, Pablo Escobar, who, who's the kingpin? Is there someone perhaps more responsible than everybody else? Well, you'll have Bobby Kennedy on in, in, uh, in his brilliant book, The Real Anthony Fauci. He has a follow-on video. And he starts that video with Eisenhower's speech on the industri military-industrial complex, mm -hmm. you know, basically equating that with now the pharmaceutical-industrial complex. So if, if I would say somebody's in charge, I would say it'd be the corrupting influence. I'm a private sector guy. I, I never had a problem with big business. You know, sometimes you need big business to do big things. But my eyes have been opened in terms of corrupting influence of big pharma. Uh, we probably should never have allowed them to advertise because that allowed them to capture the entire mainstream media and the social media giants, but also their capture, capture the agency. So if this, if this thing has been driven by anything, I would say it's certainly big pharma. But again, I, I also, two or three years ago, if you were to Talk to me about uh, the Gates Foundation and the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab. I would have said, well, why don't you go over there and in the corner with those other folks over me there? Me too. Um, yeah. Not anymore. I, I, what I've seen during this pandemic, 
I can't believe, I can't explain it, it makes no sense, and it made no sense from the get-go. When, when I was pushing back on, on shutdowns, everyone not bad for USA Today, arguing against shutdowns. Of course, I was vilified in the media, like I want to kill people. No, I just didn't want the cure worse than disease, and that's unfortunately, I think, what's happened throughout this. Senator, first thing I want to say is I don't make a lot of political donations. Um, I made the largest individual donation I've ever made to a political candidate to your reelection last year. After the initial hearing that you had to take a crowbar to the Overton window on this. So on behalf of everybody watching and just me personally, I wanted to thank you for showing something we don't frankly see a lot from the political class, even the guys I like, which is bravery. So I wanted to thank you for that. Another question I want to ask you before we get into some specifics that are all going to come across as sinister. Is there a benign or innocent explanation for what we have, or even a series of benign and innocent explanations for what we have witnessed as a country since March 16th of 2020? Well, I, I certainly think there are a lot of benign actors that got caught up in this. But, and, and again, I, I, I can certainly understand why the federal government uh, prior to, to 2020 uh, we're, we're doing planning exercises around a pandemic, and I can certainly understand why the Defense Department and DARPA were looking at, you know, what would we do if there's a bioweapon, if, if somebody makes a chimeric virus? You know, how, how do we react? I mean, could, could there, we develop a vaccine? So I mean, to me, that, that's actually responsible actions. What was completely irresponsible was funding and sharing research, for example, with China. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, if, you, if you're going to be doing research on, on these you know, things that could create a worldwide pandemic that could kill millions of people, uh, boy, you better control that tightly. And the fact that Fauci didn't, that our federal government didn't, and you know, to me, it's just um, those emails are so incriminating. Those are in the redacted form, you know, about how he tried to cover this up immediately. How you know, within a few days, uh, the people he was uh, talking to saying, "Well, this has got to be man-made," and you know, three days later, oh, that'd be a conspiracy theory. It just shows the corruption of the process. So it's hard in terms of the people that actually engineered the cover-up uh, that completely sabotaged early treatment with, that, again, that maniacal focus on vaccine. You know, Fauci always wanted a universal vaccine program. He talks about that with Rick Brighton from the Milken Institute. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's hard to uh, assign to them benign motives for a lot of this stuff. And again, Robert Ken Bob Bobby Kennedy's book is brilliant in showing, you know, who... Anthony Fauci is, whether it's forcing uh, medical experiments on foster children in New York, uh, his mishandling of, of the AIDS uh, issue, and you just followed that all the way through. How, how we stayed in power for 40 years is, is, is remarkable, quite honestly. When I first read the Imperial College survey that kind of was the, the, the stone tablets from on high that began everything we've seen since March 16th, and as someone with a background with modeling and data in campaigns, I thought this is a pile of crap. And yet the entire world was going to shut down over this. And one of the things that stunned me, I originally thought as a right winger that this was just a proxy for like the global warming debate. And it was basically going to be the steep day shows of the world against academia. And I was a little hesitant given the stakes we're playing for here and how immediate the danger is to jump in against uh, when, when I think this is a lot bigger issue than what the temperature might be in a thousand years. What stunned me is how many academics who may not agree with me on a host of issues 
also thought that that study was bunk, also thought that much of the solutions we were following was bunk. And we, we, we never saw or rarely saw the, from places like Stanford, Oxford, Yale. One of them, Dr. Harvey Risch, was on my show back in September. This is the most watched viral video ever produced in the history of my career. For people that don't know, Harvey Risch might be the most academically cited epidemiologist alive in America today. Over 10,000 academic citations. And I asked him, what was the biggest scam or con or lie of the last three years? Not knowing what his answer would be. He told me the suppression of hydroxychloroquine and the amount of lives and people who died as a result of that. Which, of course, the, the implications of that are astronomical. Out in the cheap seats where I live in Iowa, we hear rumors and stories that politicians had doctors come in, in on Capitol Hill and give them hydroxychloroquine and, and access to ivermectin and things of that nature. Did you witness any of that? Did you see any of that from within Capitol Hill? Were they secretly, was that like contraband up there, like, like The Wire, one of his favorite shows? <laughs> All right, well, you guys are running that underground, but the rest of us plebes weren't allowed that kind of medicine? Well, I, I do know when I tested positive for COVID, asymptomatic, and I went to the attending physician, he would not give me hydroxychloroquine. Mm -hmm. uh, I do know that in the White House, they were all prophylaxing with hydroxychloroquine. Um, the Trump White House at the time, you mean? Yeah, right, yeah. right. And the uh, Whitlock House as well, we continue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you, 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 you pointed out, I mean, those that Imperial College study. At the same time, we had Johnny Unitas, who I had testify in May to Stanford try and put University. this all in perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, we pretty well knew, based on his study of the Princess Cruz the, yes, th th and this was a deadly disease, and it was a nasty disease if you were elderly, if you had certain comorbidities. But for the, the rest of us, it could be a pretty bad flu, uh, but most of us were going to survive. We knew that early in the pandemic, and we completely ignored that. But what you're describing in terms of people in academia that you talked to that, that kind of understood that this was – just like climate change, this is a golden opportunity to create a state of fear, to gain greater control and reduce people's freedom, okay? Put more power in the hands of, of the political leadership. Um, the, you know, what, what COVID did is offer that opportunity for the corruption to be revealed and exposed in these agencies. Mm -hmm. So you got a guy, Anthony Fauci, who has been able to carve out his little niche there and turn everything into infectious disease so it falls under his purview and literally direct tens of billions of dollars to all these research institutions. So we've corrupted medical research. We've corrupted medical journals. We've corrupted uh, the medical establishment where and that wasn't strictly, you know, Fauci's move, but the consolidation of, of all these hospital systems. And instead of having doctors independent of the hospitals, now they're, they're hired guns. And, they, and listen, practicing protocols makes a lot of sense for standard things. But when you're in the midst of a pandemic, and that's really the first thing that, that caught my attention, that just seemed so out of whack, is when you had all these doctors in New York, the hotspot, and they were coming off of 12, 14, 16-hour shifts and recording videos to, to utilize the technology we had to spread information, right? 
saying that this, this isn't what we normally see with, with lung pneumonia. There's something different about this. We're, we're not treating this properly. And they were being shut down. Those two doctors in California, they were treating COVID mm-hmm. patients, um, saying that, you know, people have already been infected and they, you know, they were being all censored. And it just didn't make sense. And it just shows you the, the pervasive corruption that COVID is exposed. And I, I think the, the people you're going to be talking to here today, I think what we all have in common is our eyes are open. And we just, we can't understand. This is to us so obvious. We can't understand why literally, I think a majority of the world population, certainly the U.S. population, don't see what we see. You know, why do we have this pervasive state of denial that we're trying to break through? We're, we're, just, we're just trying to tell the truth. I, I want to pick up on Steve asked a question about are there benign actors or actions and, and, and you talk about a pervasive corruption. And this is where I was going when I said I think I know where Steve stands. The, the, Steve's not a fan of Dr. Fauci and, and, and Steve thinks he's a bad actor and corrupt, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. And, and, and no, I've wor- said far worse than yeah. that. <laughs> and, and, and worthy of prosecution. And so Steve has his narrative. I probably tend to lean, lean Steve, but, but I don't know Dr. Fauci. I'm, maybe you've met him. Maybe you've looked at is, is Is Dr. Fauci just someone that stumbled into some mistakes or stumbled into things that benefited his pocketbook or just uh, maybe a madman that's just drunk on power that he acquired. Let, let, let me uh, boost Bobby's book sales. Read the real Anthony <laughs> Fauci. There's no way you can not come away with the conclusion that this is a bad person. That this this is somebody that should not have been in that position. He should. You know, I, I was in the room when you know uh, Anthony Fauci was wrapped around President Trump's neck, and my, my guess is President Trump realized pretty early on that he wished he wasn't wrapped around his neck, but uh, there's no way he could really get rid of that, uh, that individual. As a follow-up to that, th- there's DARPA, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. And, and there are people smarter than me, I'm not gonna throw their names out, but I I'm work for people that are really in the rabbit hole on the whole vaccine and, and just, did our research, in your opinion, did it perhaps create this pandemic? It's like a, a cycle. They study vaccines, they study viruses, and then they create viruses, and then they create vaccines to fix the viruses that they created. Is, is, is that what happened? Well, an excellent book is called Viral. I think it's the author is Matt Ridley. He's got a co-author. And to me, the, the truth is hiding in plain sight. I, I think it's pretty obvious that this is a, a man-made virus, chimeric, uh, probably in the Wuhan lab. Uh, They've, they've covered up. I mean, I don't think we'll ever find the gene, genetic sequences to, you know, conclusive proof. But uh, there's so much circumstantial evidence that just really gets in the weeds on that. But, you know, so, so to me, it's, there's nothing nefarious. Once you have CRISPR technology, you can, you can create these man-made viruses. OK, you can do the gene splicing undetected that are a responsible thing to do for our defense uh, department for Department of Homeland Security to consider what, what would happen if somebody unleashes a bioweapon? What's going to be our reaction to it? I mean, could we develop a vaccine? So I, to me, that's actually a responsible action of government. What was irresponsible 
is for the people in charge of that, that they didn't keep that so bottled up and so controlled. And the last thing you would do is you just willingly allow people you're funding uh, to do it willy-nilly in all these different universities and then let them share that information with China. I mean, if you, the minute you share anything with China, I mean, anybody in business knows that if you put up a plant in China, you've given up all of your trade secrets. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, the Communist Chinese Party is going to know everything that you know. And so that was so grotesquely irresponsible. Was such, and whether you call it gain of function or not, it was dangerous research. Anybody would take a look at that. I mean, you're, you're trying to take a virus, you're experimenting with it, and increase its function to make it more deadly. Um, so I, I, I've got mixed feelings in terms of uh, to what extent should the government be researching this stuff. I mean, you can make the point, just because we can do something with science, should we do it? Science has always had a double-edged sword, right? Every scientific advancement can be used for good, it can be used for, for harm. Uh, we've got to do, and this is why I think, uh, you know, Senator Paul is so focused on, on the origin. I think it's extremely important. We've got to get control over our research on this stuff. We can't let this happen again. And in order to prevent it, I think you really have to fully understand it. Um, but to me, what concerns me even more is how the, the powers to be utilize this like they were unable to use climate change to create a level of fear that people willingly gave up their freedom. I mean, I mean, look at how Sweden was vilified. They handled it properly. They sent their kids to school, unmasked. Now, now we're finding out that you're probably better protected if you're around a bunch of kids. That's, I mean, one of the, one of the things I was most vilified for was a comment that said, why, why would we, as, as man, have such hubris to think that we would do a better job than God's own immune system, okay? One of the things I, I've certainly noticed, I keep pointing this out, there is so much we don't know. The, the more I find out about this, and I've gotten a pretty good medical edu education being connected to a global network of just eminently qualified doctors and medical researchers, but the more I find out, the more I realize how li little we know. We just do not understand. We can't comprehend the complexity of this. We were warned by people like Gert van den Bosch. Mm -hmm. you know, he wrote a four-page letter to the WHO before the vaccines were ever approved, saying, be careful here. Mass vaccination in the midst of a pandemic could drive variants, maybe very dangerous variants. He was completely ignored. People like Michael Eden. Mm -hmm. I was talking to him saying, no, Ron, there, there's a whole list of ingredients that we don't put into anything we inject in the body because they're toxic to the body. When he found out, he was, by the way, 30 years senior vice president of research for Pfizer, did, did a joint venture with them, certainly four pharmaceutical companies, right? When he found out what his colleagues were doing, he said, Ron, you know, I know these people. I, I was educated with them. I know what they know. I know they're lying to us. I know they know, I know, they know they're lying to us. So these are the people I was, I was talking to in late 2020. It's what opened up my eyes to all of this. So, you know, I'm, I'm like the rest of these people. My eyes have been wide open, and I'm just so unbelievably frustrated of what powerful forces we're up against to keep the truth from being conveyed widely to the public and accepted by the public. Final thing I wanted to ask you about is where, what's the path forward from here? Like you use the term gain of function. 
I think a lot of people don't understand it's not gain of function in and of itself is dangerous. They were seeking, but in their own words, quote, spillover potential, meaning they were they were they were not just elevating the chimeric uh, concoction they were making in those labs. They were specifically provoking it to find out what would cause it to spill over into humans. Right. I mean, so, I mean, there's playing with fire and then there's lighting yourself on fire and playing with it. And that's what they were doing. This stuff is, is beyond reckless at best. It's something else at worst. So where's the accountability? I, we, we saw 80 years ago in other, in, in, in other parts of the West, we saw the scientific community lose its soul. And there was enough justice left in the West to have a reckoning. There were Nuremberg trials for the political manifestation of that and the military manifestation of that. And then there was one for the medical, biomedical fascist manifestation of that. Every, and out of that came the Nuremberg Code. Every syllable of that code, every last syllable, consonant and vowel, was violated the last couple of years here with COVID. That's why, shameless plug, we've got a book coming out next month calling for another Nuremberg trial. Something that, that at least stops them for another 80 years from doing this over and over and over again. Do we have the appetite given less than 15% of American adults didn't take any of this concoction? Is there enough appetite out there, even in the general population, let alone where you work, to actually have accountability so this doesn't happen again? So go back after World War II. The reason the Nuremberg trials, one of the, one of the reasons that it was made possible is because Eisenhower made sure the camps were exposed and photographed and those horrors were revealed to the world. Um, that's why the first step here is exposure. And, and one of the reasons, well, the, the main reason, and I got contacted by Ken Rutgers, whose wife was vaccine injured, that got me involved with the vaccine injured community. And you know, my main reason for advocating for them is so they can be seen, heard, believed, and healed and treated. Because right now, without federal agencies, without the medical establishment uh, acknowledging that, they, they can't even get treatment. Mm -hmm. But the vaccine injury also can play just a key role of raising the awareness so that these harms are exposed so we can actually have accountability, so we can actually... Um, so we can actually fix these problems. And there's really two tracks here. On the one hand, it's about the origin so that we can have much stronger international treaties to, to tightly control what science now allows. And on the other hand, compassionately deal with the people who've been harmed by these actions, been harmed by these vaccines. Um, and from my standpoint, one of the points I've been making uh, as we've been discussing this this morning is we need the vaccine injured to get organized on a state by state basis and set up meetings to meet with their House members and their senators and tell their stories. They are, they are powerful stories. I mean, you, you can't sit and listen to these things and not believe these people. Mm -hmm. But right now I'm talking to colleagues and I say, are you being contacted by you know, people talking about vaccine injuries? And they look at me like I'm from outer space. It's like, what are you talking about? I mean, is it going to take one of your one of your colleagues to collapse suddenly to die suddenly? Is that what it's going to take? Well, um, God, I mean, I hope not. Okay, uh, but you're seeing with you know the, the, the Buffalo Bills player, mm -hmm. uh, you saw how quickly they already had 
the excuse, right? Commodio cordis. And you know, certainly within my doctorate group, very common in 2014. Immediately, people are saying that is there's no way. Yeah, that is a, a a small object, high speed in an unprotected, probably young chest. That's not what this was. And yet, again, what we're up against the COVID cartel. They were so prepared for that eventuality because they anticipated it. So again, we are up against powerful forces. You know, I've used the analogy in terms of what the FBI did, sabotaging in advance the revelation that uh, Hunter Biden had this computer. They, they, have, they went to those lengths, you know, unsolicited briefings to myself and Chuck Grassley, uh, working with Twitter and, and the social media companies. They were laying the groundwork in case Paul McIsaac ever had the courage to come forward and, and reveal that publicly. Think about the COVID cartel, mm -hmm. the lengths they will go to protect themselves to not be exposed. So again, this, this, is, this literally is all about exposure, but I guess the opportunity, and coming from a manufacturing background, we had dealt problems all the time. My first question always was with every new problem is, okay, what opportunity is there in this problem? I mean, what, how can we take this bad problem and at least come away with some good. And from my standpoint, COVID has exposed so much, so much corruption, the, the, the extent, the pervasiveness of, of the deep state and the bureaucracy. Uh, again, the, the corruption of big pharma and, and all these things. We need to seize on that opportunity and, and fix things. I know you got into this new from sports. Ron and I got into politics to make it morning in America again. Now we're doing X Files episodes based on the conversation we just had. That's what's that's what's happened. Hey, we're not done with uh, Senator Johnson, but I do want to uh, bring on uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. and get a different perspective, a, a little less political perspective. And so we're going to bring on Robert Kennedy. But before we do that, I want to talk to you guys about. And if you guys watch this show, watch me. You know this is my favorite sponsor, Preborn. Preborn is, has changed my life and given the show a purpose. This show we're doing right now is about the sanctity of life. And does America, does the government, do, do our people in power, do they value life? Preborn has been in that fight, uh, fighting against the establishment, abortion, meal establishment that we have here in America. Preborn saves young babies in the womb, that they support an expectant mother who is considering abortion. Anytime that they provide a woman that's expecting an ultrasound, once she sees that baby's life, once she sees that baby in the womb, once she hears that heartbeat, 80% of the time, she will make a different choice and will keep that baby. And then that's where preborn steps in with all kinds of support throughout the pregnancy and the first two years of that baby's life. Preborn is amazing. And those of you that have been in the Fearless Army, you hear me talk about this all the time. This is our mission. This is our way of pushing back and giving back. $28 sponsors one ultrasound, $140 sponsors five ultrasounds. We can make a difference. We partner with Preborn here at The Blaze. We're gonna save 50,000 babies' lives this year, and we're gonna do it because those of us in the Fearless Army are gonna to go to preborn.com slash Jason, and we're gonna donate money. Or we're gonna hit pound 250 on our phones and say the keyword baby, and we're gonna donate money 
because we believe life starts. We, no, we don't believe. We know life starts in the womb and your mindset, your mentality has to be right. If you know that life starts in the womb, you're going to be in a better mindset to support life outside the womb. Don't ever believe these people to think and argue, yeah, yeah, we got the best plan for outside the womb, although we think we can kill your baby inside the womb. Those people are crazy. Life starts in the womb. Belief in life and the belief in the value of life believes starts inside the womb. We got to support babies inside the womb. $28 donation, $140 donation, whatever you can afford. Preborn.com slash Jason or pound 250, say the keyword, baby. Support Preborn. Robert Kennedy Jr. Wanna, Atheists, the secular world, the culture, uses our imperfection, our sins to take, shut up. You, you're, you can't stand on truth. And if all it was was imperfection, it eliminated us from standing on truth, this would be a very quiet place. I'm trying to be as loud as I can and as transparent as I can to try to inspire other men. We know you're imperfect, you know you're imperfect. God's grace and mercy, mercy gives you the right to stand on his truth and to speak that loudly into the culture, and we, we have to do that. You can look around and say, these guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC, the NIH, they got the president. Is transgender surgery for children? Colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. What's the alternative? So you're gonna stop fighting today and you're gonna let the government raise your kids? And you're gonna turn around and let them chop off your 12-year-old daughter's breasts and let them sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl? And you're gonna let them make the Bible hate speech? You're the last line of defense here because nobody else is gonna do it and God's gonna walk with you. This is literally worth dying for. I'm telling you, so it's like everybody, that's a nice little metaphor. This is it. If there's a hill to die on, this is it. The Overton window has been moved right in front of our children's bedrooms. And there are all types of people that are trying to climb up in the ladder. And every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the, the window sill, you kick the ladder back down, let them know you, you move on to the other house because we're not playing that around here. Sometimes just standing up, just saying no, we're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. Just declaring that, that's victory enough. In prepping his disciples, he tells Peter, he's like, listen, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're gonna face some ups and downs in life and we're not gonna always get it together. But if we stay on the path, if we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after his way, he's even praying for us. Now, I, I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ. I appreciate that, but to have Jesus pray for me, that makes me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men. Once he's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folk out. You do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone, be confident in your position, and we're gonna inspire you. We're gonna eat, fellowship, listen to some music. It's gonna be the first of many roll calls that we do. So we're looking for soldiers. We're gonna 
put on our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers. Welcome back. Jason Whitlock, Steve Dace, special edition of Fearless, uh, the COVID cartel, as Senator uh, Ron Johnson explained. I do want to make one apology. I forgot to mention uh, the most fearless soldier of the Fearless Army. His name is Ken Maurer. You guys have seen him uh, on the show before. He's a former NBA ref. Spent like 60 years refereeing in the, in the NBA. <laughs> he looks like he's, you know, 55, but he's, I think he's 105 this year. And, uh, you know, any guy, you've seen Ken on the show, and Ken was instrumental in helping me put this together. And I, I forgot, he's one of our great patriots here. But I, I'm going to say this, and I hope no one's offended. Uh, the greatest patriot here today is sitting to the right of me right now. Uh, it's Robert Kennedy Jr. And, and I say that because uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. knows exactly what he's doing. His family has paid the ultimate price uh, for fighting the establishment. And now Robert Kennedy Jr., uh, uh, an accomplished lawyer, comes from a tremendous family, has been the face, the loudest critic of this vaccine and COVID injury movement and empowering people to stand up to Big Pharma, uh, the government and the establishment. And I, Robert, I, this morning, uh, I just went to your Wikipedia page just to see. I wonder what Wiki, how they treat uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. <laughs> <laughs> this is the son of Robert Kennedy Sr., the, the nephew of JFK, and Wikipedia is comfortable in the first sentence of your how you're defined on Wikipedia, a propaganda and conspiracy theory guy. And, and, and that's probably the least, <laughs> that is the least of the attacks on you for the stance you've taken. I, I, I'm, I'm just honored you came to join us. You're a great patriot. You're a courageous American. Why are you willing to put yourself out here like this on this particular issue? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Jason and Steve. Um, and I would like to point out to your audience that Wikipedia, it, you, you need to be careful about, get, about getting news of, about certain subjects from Wikipedia. Wikipedia is crowdsourced, but they have an editorial system that is very biased toward the pharmaceutical industry. And also there's other issues too. They're very much against vitamins. They're very much against uh, chiropractors, any kind of natural the illness. They're against the truth. Yeah, I mean, you'll get truth there. I, it, listen, it's a valuable resource for me, but I, I actually looked at litigating against them, and they've, they have an ingenious way of, um, of insulating themselves from litigation. Really, the only way uh, that you can litigate against them is if you can find, if you can identify the particular editor who is slandering you on the site. And uh, uh, Richard Gale has done, who's kind of a, a natural health doctor and has been really slaughtered by them, has done a lot of investigation of it. And it, 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 it's an interesting system. But I'm just saying this because people need to be careful of, about getting pharmaceutical-related truths um, off of Wikipedia. When it comes to pharmaceuticals, it's, a, it's just a propaganda outlet. 
you asked me about me doing the, you know, uh, the issue. I have, uh, I've lost a bunch of stuff from doing, from taking on this issue, including damaged relationships with my family. I've, um, I've destroyed uh, my political access, which I, you know, I spent 40 years kind of diligently um, developing, and I've probably lost about 85% of my income. A lot of my income particularly came from speeches to colleges and corporate forums, and those uh, are, I, I can't do those anymore because of this issue. I'm not saying this to complain because I have no complaints. I don't feel like a victim. I don't feel like, I feel like I have a great privilege to be in the foxhole on an issue that is critical to the survival of all of the values, all the things I believe in. I think the highest values, the most idealistic values of what our country is supposed to stand for is an exemplary democracy. Um, uh, the public health, and particularly the health of children. And, you know, I, I, I was raised in a milieu where all of me and my 10 brothers and sisters, 29 cousins, were all raised with this idea that our lives would be consumed in some great controversy. And it would be a huge privilege for us if we were able to play some effective role in those issues. And so this issue is a gift to me. It's not a, you know, it, the things I've lost are, um, you know, that in some ways they're kind of benefits because you have to struggle in order to do anything that's meaningful in life. And you have to be willing to suffer losses. And, you know, I've developed these extraordinary relationships with people like you, people like Steve Day, it's a really interesting thing to watch how uh, an orthodoxy forms and where it unravels. And here, all the people that I was raised with, which is kind of liberal left, who believed very strongly in the First Amendment, who believed in you know uh, freedom of speech, public health, standing up to and fighting back against the corporate subversion of our democratic institutions. Um, now that, and you know, my body, my choice was a kind of a watchword of, of the liberal left. And what happened to that, by the way, when it comes to vaccines um, and all these other values that I was raised with, the people who were the, who were the loudest promoters of that value have been subsumed in this orthodoxy where they're now supporting censorship of speech. You know, there was a Rasmussen poll that came out recently that showed that 75% of Democrats now believe that the government should um, censor speech that challenges government policies. And that is just antithetical to everything that, you know, that I was raised to believe in, that my uncle, that my father stood for. Mm. And it's almost incomprehensible to me that People like Noam Chomsky and Naomi Klein, who wrote, you know, about coined the phrase disaster capitalism, who've spent their whole life um, talking about how sinister elements and powerful elements within societies use leverage crises to increase their power, to diminish constitutional rights, to, to attack the Bill of Rights, and to subvert democracy. 
and they don't see it happening here. You know, um, the, the very careful orchestration of fear of propaganda has disabled critical thinking among the entire, these are not people who are bad people. These are people who, you know, in their heart are idealistic, they're unselfish, they care for society, but their, their thoughts and their fears are being manipulated now. And um, they're being manipulated in a way that disables their capacity for critical thought. So that, and you know this, and anybody who has dealt with this issue knows this, if you try to talk to somebody who is, you know, is subsumed in that orthodoxy, they cannot hear you. They literally cannot hear what you're going to say. They, they, they immediately categorize you as a dangerous person and who should not be listened to. And there's no debate, there's no discussion, there's no conversation. And, you know, there's blanket censorship of people like me who are, listen, I'm condemned as being somebody who passes vaccine misinformation, but the people who say that have not been able to point to a single factual assertion that I've made that is incorrect. Now, that's not saying that everything I say is true, because it's not. I wrote a book that's 200, that's uh, you know, it's the biggest bestseller of the year. It's 270,000 words, and it's 2,200 footnotes in it. And at the beginning of it, I invite people. I, I say, you know, you write this many words, you're going to get something wrong. I want you to tell me. Show me where I got it wrong. We did something in that book that's never been done before, which was we include a QR code with every footnote so people can go in and check to see what, to verify immediately whether what I'm saying is true. Nobody's been able to just point out to a single factual inaccuracy in that book. Nobody, we publish, you know, um, a newsletter that goes, that's seen by up to 10 million people a month. And nobody's been able to, nobody, I, I'm not going to say it's never happened because we have made mistakes, but when we made them, make them, what do we do? Correct. We correct them. Mm -hmm. So, and that's what you're supposed to do. And you're supposed to have a conversation. And, you know, we have probably the most robust fact-checking operation of any now major media group in the world. I have 350 PhD scientists and MDA physicians on our advisory board, including until recently Luc Montagnier, who won the Nobel Prize in 1983 for discovering the HIV virus, uh, Chris Portier, who's the head of the National Toxicity Program at NIH for many, many years. So these are esteemed preeminent scientists. None of them would stay with me for a minute if I was passing on misinformation. Mm -hmm. The term vaccine misinformation does not actually mean inaccurate statements in the way that it's now, you know, entered the vernacular. It is simply a euphemism for any statement that or factual assertion that departs from, you know, from government proclamations. So if you, and Facebook admits this, all of the uh, internet sites admit they're not, you know, the Twitter files we saw, Facebook says, yeah, what we're, we are censoring a lot of things that are accurate, but they diminish vaccine or they increase vaccine hesitancy. 
And that's why we're, we're censoring them. It's not because they're inaccurate. We're going to say they're inaccurate. We're going to call them misinformation, but they're true. And Facebook says this in its own, you know, in our, its own internal communications. That wasn't an answer. That was like a force of nature. That was incredible. <laughs> um, you used the word orthodoxy. I want to go back to that word for a minute. Because one of the things that, just speaking for me personally, I mean, I got into this business, I thought, to be perfectly blunt, to defeat people that thought politically like you. That's why I thought I got into this business. And then I met a lot more of the people that believe like me, or at least claim they did, and I wasn't so sure about them. Then this comes along. And I never in a million years would have uh, envisioned or predicted when I got into this business that Naomi Wolf and I would be pen pals, let alone that I would live to see the day that she did regular appearances with Steve Bannon, okay? And, I, and, I, and the only thing I can do to explain it is the word you used, orthodoxy, is, the, is who's in this for truth? And we may just disagree what the truth is in a situation or what to do about the truth in a situation. And who is embedded and married to an orthodoxy they can't get away from? On the left, I, we, have, we have seen multitudes of people say, I hate corporations. They're going to be the instrument of fascism unless they're called Pfizer and Moderna. And then I'm their endless yeah. test tube. Okay. Yeah. On the right, big government's terrible. It's going to be the instrument of fascism uh, unless the Trump administration decides we can go ahead and shut America down to find out what is an essential and non-essential business. And who knows if we'll ever reopen. And there are really no accountability mechanisms whatsoever to know if any of these policies are taking place. And we're going to print a whole bunch of money, 80% of all all the money we've ever printed as a people in the last few years. And now that's big government now. I love me some big government now. And, and like everybody violated their own orthodoxies in order to maintain some level of allegiance. I, I don't know how to describe it, brother. I, 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 we, when I got into this, it was conservative versus liberal. Now it sort of seems like it's regime versus dissident. Are we almost, I'd ever envisioned I would spend the last couple of years quoting Bill Maher on my show positively more than the writers of National Review. I can't even imagine what 2015, 2016 Steve Dace thinks about the stuff that since 2020 Steve Dace has done, okay? And so my, uh, that's a long lead into this question. Are we watching a realignment take place? A, an understanding that yes, Big government's a problem. Yes, big business is a problem. They're the same problem. We can't play them off each other anymore. They've figured out we don't have to fight. We can actually just be one in the traditional definition of the word fascist entity and control the population. Yeah, well, let me, you know, rather than answering that question directly, let me answer it indirectly by, by giving you another way of thinking about this. Which is in my when I was writing my book, one of the you know the mo most momentous and shocking discoveries that I um, encountered and that I made you know in my research was seeing the deep involvement of the intelligence agencies in this public health space. Mm -hmm. The last chapter of my book shows this series of tabletop exercises, about twenty tabletop exercises that took place between. 1999 that was sponsored all of them by the CIA but involving a lot of you know important hundreds of thousands of people took part in these these pandemic simulations 
and what each one of them did, they, and by the way, the people who were taking part in them were from Europe, United States, Canada, um, and the rest of the world, the rest of the Western world. And they, um, Australia, Mexico, for example, they were public health officials, they were for, uh, frontline um, uh, responders, they were uh, people who worked for utilities, hospital systems, politicians, there were big shots at each one, Bill Gates, uh, Madeleine Albright, Tom Daschle, and to give them kind of an imprimatur of legitimacy. But what they each did was they'd take a, fa a, a simulated pandemic and they'd show what the response was. And the response was not a public health response. It was the imposition of totalitarian control. Mm -hmm. So they weren't talking about providing vitamin D to people mm -hmm. or stockpiling, you know, or uh, quarantining the sick and, you know, and and keeping constitutional rights, which is something that you got to think of in a pandemic, mm -hmm. et cetera. They weren't doing any of that stuff. What they were doing is how do we use this pandemic to suppress free speech, to censor social media and the media, to close churches, to lock down society, to force people to wear masks, and then funnel them into the chute of mass vaccination with a quickly... Um, uh, created an untested zero liability vaccine. Every one of them does the same thing. None of them is about public health. It's a militarized and monetized response. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're play acting all of these strategies for how do we get Americans to go along with us? Well, the CIA and, you know, has for many, many years has uh, studied ways of doing not only individual manipulation, doing mass manipulation of society, society. How do you go into a developing country or an indigenous country, uh, turn the population, cause so economic chaos, shut down the economy, um, uh, polarize people against each other and create violence and chaos to, to the point where that country will be happy to have an outside uh, you know, Machiavellian kind of stuff. come in and control yeah. the whole thing. And how do you sow fear and use propaganda, et cetera? One of the ways the CIA um, figured out all of these methodologies, which is put in handbook after handbook, and, you know, the CIA does not do public health, by the way. It does coup d'etat against democracy. So between 1947 and 1998, the CIA was involved in 87 coup d'etats against a third of the nations on earth, most of them democracies. So that's what they do. The, the way that they studied this is they farmed out studies to sociologists at about 300 universities. These were um, programs called MKUltra, mm -hmm. MKSurge, Operation Artichoke, et cetera. But it was all done by the universities, billions and billions of dollars. One of those studies uh, took place in the 1960s and 70s, and it was done by uh, early 1970s by a guy called Stanley Milgram, who was a young associate professor at Yale. And Milgram recruited people from every walk of American life, black people, white people, students, professors, professionals, every kind of American. He, he would put the subject in a room, sit them on a chair, and there was a dial in front of them. And they were told there was a person in the next room who was tied to a chair. And when they turned this dial, it would administer an electric shock to that person. That person in the other room was actually a confederate mm -hmm. and was an actor. 
and the uh, and the doctor, Dr. Milgram, who was wearing a stethoscope and a light, you know, a white lab coat, so he had this kind of imprimatur of authority. He would tell the people, turn it up. They could hear the, the subject screaming, shouting, pleading, begging, crying in the other room and struggling. And all of the people who recruited begged the doctor to allow them to stop. But the doctor said, no, higher, higher. Well, if you can look this up in Wikipedia and actually reports it accurately. It's called the Milgram experiment. 67% of the people turned it up to 250 volts where it was marked potentially lethal. So they knew not to do that. And every value they had, they had to compromise to do that, but they did it because they were taking orders from somebody that they believed was a trusted authority. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what Milgram concluded, that if you have somebody who's dressed up like a doctor, 67% of the people will violate their most deeply held values. And okay, so we've got, you know, we're just in a huge Milgram experiment here. We got Anthony Fauci in his white lab coat telling people it's okay to get rid of jury trials, which they did against anybody who's involved in a countermeasure. It's okay to uh, suppress free speech. We all know better than that. It's okay to close every uh, church in our country for a year. Mm -hmm. We know you can't do that. Mm -hmm. There's no pandemic exception in the United States Constitution. And by the way, the framers knew all about pandemic. There were two pandemics during the Revolutionary War. A smallpox and a yellow fever pandemic that almost, that we, the smallpox epidemic actually stopped us. We'd already taken control of Montreal. We would, Canada would have been part of the United States except for that pandemic. Between the end of the, the revolution and the signing of the constitution, there were epidemics in almost every city that killed tens of thousands of people, cholera, yellow fever, smallpox, et cetera. So they knew all about it. Mm -hmm. They did not put an epidemic exception in the United States constitution. And so these people knew, okay, you don't abolish property rights. You don't close 3.3 million businesses without due process, without just compensation. You don't completely shut down the Fourth Amendment right to be free of, uh, of warrantless searches and seizures. And you know, now you've got to show your medical records mm -hmm. to get into a public building. Mm -hmm. This is all against our Constitution. So, we all know you don't violate the Bill of Rights. They violate every single one of the Bill of, first 10 Bill of Rights, except for the Second Amendment. And so people knew better. They did it anyway. Here's the good news, is that 33% of the people that Milgram recruited got up and walked out. And the people that you're having on this show today are part of that 33%. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's Republicans in that 33%, there's Democrats in that 33%, and that's where the realignment is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the way that I look at it, I don't hold it against people who are in my family or other people who are, who have been subjected to this propaganda psyop, right? And they're doing what they're told, and they're trying to do the right thing to obey the trusted authorities, and they're terrified and fear, you know, incapacitates you. So I don't blame them, but what I see that our job is, is to fight for them until they can wake up 
and start fighting for themselves. Mm. You just unpacked, and I don't know if it was Malone or McCullough, mass formation psychosis. Yeah. That's what you just unpacked so that a baby could understand. Beautiful, thank you. I, I, it takes me, your explanation takes me, both of your explanations, to, and, and I, I want to be careful here. I don't know what I can say that will bring up pain or whatever, but I think about your uncle and I think about your father and I think about their fight against what I believe is the military-industrial complex. And it, I listen to you and it seems like the military-industrial complex just moved Big Pharma into their right. mission. Really the and so you're fighting against the same people. Yeah, it's the military medical industrial complex now. And if you look at who is behind all of the countermeasures, including the vaccines, it's not the vaccine companies, it's the military. There's over 100 military contractors actually making the vaccine. Pfizer's not making the vaccine. Moderna's not making the vaccine. The Pentagon is. And the Pentagon is running it with, and the top um, uh, authority is the National Security Agency. So that's the CIA. It's uh, um, uh, it's you know the defense intelligence agencies, and it's the uh, and it's the military, the Joint Chiefs. You're the fighting military. the same fight as your dad and your uncle. Yeah, and my dad and my uncle died in those battles. You know, my uncle died after three years of resisting. His, you know, all, he was surrounded by war hawks who felt that nuclear war was not only inevitable, but it was advisable to do right away with the Soviets while we still had the advantage. And then um, he was killed. My father ran five years later against the Vietnam War. Um, and, you know, he was killed in that process. And I think those were forks in the road for our country where we, um, where, you know, the military really did. Uh, you know, it did exactly what Eisenhower predicted. Is some of your family think the same thing I think? Like, oh, he's fighting the same fight as his dad and his uncle. No. And they just don't want you to pay that cost. No. No, because, you know, it's a comp it's complicated. My, my family's uh, relationship with the assassinations is complicated. And it's complicated because... And this is true, even my father's first suspicion when his brother was killed, we, I was, you know, I was at that time, 10 years old, I was brought home from school immediately that day. My father was walking around the yard, which we had about five acres with a fence corrals around it. And my father was, when I got home, was walking around the yard with John McComb, who was then the director of the CIA. Um, he, the first call that he'd made when J. Edgar Hoover told him, your brother's dead, the first call that he made was to, actually, right after J. Edgar Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover made two calls. One is, your brother's dead, your brother's shot, and then an hour later, your brother's dead. Um, my father's first call was to John McComb, who's the head of the CIA, and his first question is, did your people do this? And then Macomb, the CIA was only about uh, a half mile from my house. So Macomb came immediately to my house. Macomb used to come to our house every day to swim. He came over and walked around the perimeter of our yard with my father. My father made another call that day to Harry Ruiz, who was the um, one of the leaders of the Bay of Pigs invasion. And he asked him the same question. So that was his first instinct. But... 
for political reasons, for, he was shattered by his brother's death, and it took him, uh, he was literally just destroyed by it. And it took him uh, more than a year to recover. And then he ended up running for Senate in New York, and you know he launched his own political career, which he had never wanted. Um, but other members of my family to this day have not recovered. They will cry if you, you know, mention my dad uh, or his death. So none of them have read the literature. And there's, you know, um, there, there are incredible scholars out there who have looked at the documents, who know, you know, who have put them together. I would say that, you know, if people are interested in what happened, probably the best book to read is a book uh, by Jim Douglas called The Unspeakable because it's a recent book and there have been millions of documents now released and um, if and he does a very good job at kind of distilling them and putting the story together. Um, and I've written a book about my family's 60 year fist fight with the CIA called American Values. Um, but anyway, I, my family, I'm the, really the only one in my family, even my uncle, if I even talked to him about this stuff, he would, my uncle Edward Kennedy, he would, uh, he would cry. So they just did not have the capacity to go into this very difficult area and say what happened. Now, my father, um, two years after his brother's death, he asked, um, he asked a, a guy who worked for him called Walter Sheridan who was an FBI agent who had left Hoover and come to my father's side. And he became an investigator for my father, investigated the mob for him. He was a really crack investigator. And my father was walking through um, National Airport and he saw the magazine stand that was filled with pictures of Jim Garrison, who was the Louisiana, mm -hmm. you know, the New Orleans, um, a U.S. Attorney, attorney. Mm -hmm. who was investigating the death, and he said to uh, he said to Frank Makowitz and Walter Sheridan, "What do you think of that?" And they said, "We think there's something to it." And he told Walter Sheridan he wanted him to investigate it. So then, a week before my father was killed, he was speaking at a community college in Los Angeles. So whenever my father was asked about the Warren Commission report, he believed it was a shoddy piece of garbage. He never said that publicly. One is because he didn't want to talk about it, but two, he wanted to end the Vietnam War and he wanted to help what was happening in the cities. At that point, the cities were in chaos. It was rioting and, and he knew that if he started talking about the Warren report, um, that he would be marginalized, politically marginalized, and that a lot of the political establishment would go against him, and he would be painted as a as a kind of a bitter, crazy person. So he never talked. You know, Wikipedia listed as a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. <laughs> so a week before my father was killed, he was at a uh, community college in Los Angeles, and a student in the audience said to him, "If you are elected." will you reopen the Warren uh, Commission investigation? And normally he would say something totally noncommittal or endorsing it mildly, but this time he did something different. There's a long pause and you can listen to this tape. And at the end he said, yes. 
and um, uh, a week later he was killed on the night that he won the, uh, the California primary. So, you know, my father, it took him a long time to sort of, you know, work through the, the grief to a point. Like my father was the best um, investigator of his time. He was like the Robert Mueller of his time. He had brought down the mafia, he brought down the corruption in the unions. Uh, he'd been a, a Senate, the running Senate investigative committee since 1955. You know, I grew up going to those committee hearings and watching them grill Joey Gallo and Sam Giancana and all these mob leaders and seeing them take the fifth again and again and again. My mother would sit us in the front of those. But he was, a, you know, he was a great investigator. And I and he knew how the, the system worked. He was likely at that point to become president. He won the California primary. Mayor Daley called him that night and said, we're going to clear the decks for you in, in Chicago. Daly, everybody else had been against him. And now he was going to run against Hubert Humphrey. And remember, he, ma he managed my uncle's campaign in 1960 and beat Hubert Humphrey. So he knew how to beat Hubert Humphrey. And then he was going to run against Richard Nixon. And he had beat Richard Nixon in 1960. So, you know, the, the, um, the chances that my father would have been president were very, very high. And that would have been an absolute calamity uh, for anybody who was involved in my uncle's death because my uncle, my father knew how to run the FBI. He knew how to run the CIA. He knew where the bodies were buried. And he knew how to investigate things. Steve, I'll give you a final question for... Wow. Um, That's a tough act to follow. That is a tough he act just to compared follow. It, you know, you compared your dad to Jimmy McNulty. You know Jimmy <laughs> McNulty, my favorite character from The Wire? It's a great investigator. But anyway. <laughs> when I, I never envisioned, and I, I doubt that you did, that you were going to have to um, spend the bulk of your public life on this kind of a specialized issue. Um, I mean, I, I didn't know a T-cell from a T-bone you know, 42 months ago. I mean, I had to learn a lot of this stuff on the fly, like a lot of Americans did. And f for someone like you that's been at this fight for decades, I mean, I've only been at it for a few years, and I'm wondering, where is the critical mass? And I'll give you an example. One of the most damning pieces of data I have seen over the last few years, and I've seen quite a bit, was published uh, 48 hours ago by the St. Louis branch of the Federal Reserve. And it was from stats from the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And it goes back to 2009, disability claims on the job. And, and when you look at this chart, you can see from 2009 until 2021, for some reason, we had a great year with a lack of disability claims in 2014. I don't know what we did that year, but something worked great that year. Other than that year, this chart going back well over a decade is pretty consistent about the amount of dis disability claims within the civilian oh, population. Uh, Suddenly, yeah. in 2021, the chart goes off the chain. And then it goes really off the chain in the, in the, in the third and fourth quarter of 2021, yeah. when the mandates begin, when the, the next round of the first round of boosters are called for. And keep in mind, this is also at a time period when a lot of Americans are still working at home. 
offices have not fully reopened yet. They're still Zooming, working from home, and still filing all these disability claims. And there's such an obvious corollary here that you do not have to be a scientist or a demographer or a data analyst to understand the timing of that event. And, and yet, it's, it's like the cognitive dissonance is real. Like, I don't want to admit that this is true. I don't, I don't want to admit what I just watched, one of 15 million people watching Monday Night Football two weeks ago, right? So as someone that's been at this battle for decades, when do you think a critical mass is reached? <laughs> I, I'll tell you this, that everybody knows me, knows about me. I never make predictions. And the reason for that is because if you don't, if you don't have expectations, you never get disappointed. <laughs> and, I, you know, and you can't be crushed. Because I, the way that I look at it is I don't, I don't never look at outcomes. Those are in God's hands. The only thing I have control over is this little piece of real estate inside my own shoes. And I have to get up in the, every morning and say, reporting for duty, sir, and then go out and fight the fight. And that's it. And that's all I can do. And then God will decide when it breaks and when it doesn't. And, you know, um, it's, to me, that's really important because, I, listen, I was an environmental attorney and activist for 40 years. And I saw people get burned out and get crushed. I just their souls crushed by losing. If you are an environmentalist, every victory is temporary. Every loss is permanent. You lose the river, you, you extinguish exterminate a species, it's never coming back. God's not making another one of them. Mm -hmm. And people get crushed by it. And so very early on, I said, I'm not going to look at these outcomes. I'm just going to look at what I do and make sure I can look at myself in the mirror and that I am getting up every day and fighting it. And the thing is, if you don't ever get disappointed, you never get defeated. You know, and that, and I, no matter what happens to me, I'm going to keep fighting. No matter how many times they knock me down, I'm going to stand up again. And I am relentless because I don't make predictions. I don't, I'm not invested in outcomes. And the only thing I am responsible for is my own conduct. And because of that, I'm undefeatable. I will never be crushed. I will never be discouraged. I'm going to fight every day for my whole life. And if I have to, I'm going to die with my boots on. We know that. I'll start where I said at the beginning, man. You are an amazing American patriot. You know exactly what you're doing. You know exactly what the risks are. I, I go, we, we have a prayer meeting every Wednesday as a group. You're going to be at the top of our list, not just on Wednesdays, but for me personally, but as a group. We got to keep you in our prayers and, and keep God's head around you. I, I'm, I'm, it's an honor that you came into town and did this for us and helped us get this conversation going. Uh, I just, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, just stay with you and uh, thank you. Thank you, Jason. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. <clears throat> thank you. Uh, we'll be back with the people from Wisconsin, Senator Ron Johnson. He brought in his football player, Ken Rutgers, former first-round pick with the Green Bay Packers. He brought a doctor with him, Joel uh, Walscog, that's had his career ruined. We'll unpack their stories next.
politicians will never let a crisis go to waste. We have been invaded. The crisis is being used by Republicans as a photo op by the Democrats to expand their voting base. More than 85% of everybody reaching the border is coming in. That's the definition of an open border. Just down the road, you can get in no problem, no Humvees, no armed guards. What people don't realize is there's a way around everything. The Blaze Originals team traveled to the Texas border, ground zero of the most controversial news story of 2024. With some experts estimating over 4 million border crossings in 2023 alone, we embedded with the Take Our Border Back convoy to investigate. What if the entire narrative you thought you knew was a lie? Go watch the real story of Texas versus the feds and how the elites use the border crisis against us by visiting realbordercrisis.com and use code TEXAS for $30 off an annual subscription to Blaze TV. Welcome back uh, to this special edition of Fearless with Jason Whitlock. We're going over COVID injuries and the COVID policy and just people that have been injured. And we've heard from Senator Ron Johnson and Robert Kennedy Jr. And now we want to get into people's individual stories about how they've been harmed by the way we've handled uh, the COVID pa uh, pandemic. Senator Johnson's back with us because uh, our first two guests explaining their stories, uh, are from the state of Wisconsin. Ken Rutgers, uh, sitting to the, my left, probably your right on screen, former first-round pick of the Green Bay Packers, uh, offensive lineman from USC. He's in the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame, 1985, the seventh pick in the NFL draft. His wife uh, was injured uh, by the experimental medical trial. And then uh, to, my, to the right of uh, Senator Johnson is Dr. Joel's Walsberg. He's from Milwaukee. Uh, Joel has got a lot of explaining to do today because he's a doctor and took the vaccine and was injured by it. Uh, I can't wait to hear him explain that. How does a, a chubby guy from Indianapolis know not to take the vaccine, but a doctor doesn't? Uh, Joel, I can't wait to hear you explain that. Uh, I say that almost jokingly, but it's serious what has happened to Joel and his pra medical practice. But we'll start with Ken. Ken, uh, walk us through what, what happened with your wife and, and your thoughts on how we've handled this pandemic. Yeah, so I was uh, teaching college sociology. My wife was working on her master's degree, and so she was in that first rollout period because um, she was doing internship and working with clients and, and so some pressure. She wanted to continue to get credit without having to start over take the shot. So she did some research and didn't really find much other than that it's safe and effective and there was some pressure put on it. So she went down, took the shot and <clears throat> by the next day, her lymph nodes were swollen. I mean, swollen. So this was instantaneous? Within 24 to 48 hours. Yeah. And, and uh, burning and tingling on her scalp and eventually moving into her face, went to urgent care. They didn't know what to do. They did some testing on her, made kind of ruled out uh, MS, and uh, a couple days later, uh, went was in the emergency room. Her tingling, um, shaking, um, progressive burning in her face. Doctors didn't know what to do. Uh, they sent her home. Uh, saw some neurologists. The first neurologist she saw, baffled, um, said, "Well, let's." Let's have you take the second shot and see how that goes. <laughs> and, and she laughed. She thought the doctor was kidding. And the doctor said, no, I'm serious. I mean, nobody, nobody at that time 
you know, and, and the doctors are not being educated by the CDC and the NIH. And, and what year is this? What month? 2021, right in January. January gotcha. In fact, January 14th. So pretty close to two years gotcha. uh, since then. And, and she's still suffering from some neurological uh, damage. And so <clears throat> nobody had heard about it. She couldn't find it. So she started getting on the internet. She found a doctor, Denise Hertz, who had taken the shot and had a neurological reaction. And pretty soon, uh, that group grew. And you know, you're alone and you've got these things going on in your body and the doctors don't know what to tell you. And, you, and she thought, am I gonna die? And so to find other people that at least I'm not alone in this. And so their group grew uh, 20, 40, within a couple months, 120. Other groups, Facebook groups, thousands. And those groups then started getting shut down. So without any knowledge from the medical community how to deal with this, they, they were their own lifelines to each other. And, and, uh, and they sent a letter off to the NIA. They thought, hey, a lot of doctors in this group because they were in the first rollout. And they thought, hey, let's send a letter to the NIH and the FDA and the CDC and the president. And, it, and, it, and no response. And they were worried about, well, our Facebook group's going to sh sh get shut down. And we're going to really be isolated and alone. So I said, well, I'll start a website for you. So I started a website with the help of uh, Breed Dressing, who was one of the people in my wife's group, just so they had a voice. So they could be, as Senator Johnson said earlier, so they could be seen and heard and believed so that they could get help. And for those that are out there that were being ghosted and gaslit by doctors, mostly women, about 80 to 85% of the people with neurological injuries from this vaccine are women. And they've been diagnosed with medical, uh, mental wellness issues. They've been given Xanax because, oh, honey, it's the shy, you're anxious. So we started that website so people could have, within a few weeks, 500, 500 stories from people that are typing in stories. And so I started doing interviews. Let's, do, let's get some, some personal video stories. And I was doing um, a, some video editing on a 12-year-old girl that had been in the experimental youth trial, Maddie DeGarry, who had a, you know, had a feeding tube, ended up in a wheelchair and doing her mom. And I was, I was doing some editing work and I'm doing the editing work on it. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'm in tears. I'm thinking, there's gotta be somebody out there. I mean, this is like, this should be low hanging fruit for a politician or a leader in this country. And Senator Ron Johnson comes to mind. I'd seen him on some different interviews. And so you I, didn't know him at this point? No, no. I just remember there's this guy that sounds like a good, good man. He makes good common sense. And, and then I remember seeing, oh, Ron Johnson, Wisconsin. I'm like, I'm really proud to have a senator in Wisconsin that's a good man. He's representing the people. And so I said, I'll just cold, I'll cold call his office. It was a Thursday. Called him up, uh, explained to uh, the receptionist. I said, I don't know if this fits in his wheelhouse or not, but you know, here's here's what the deal is. Uh, if he's interested, if this, then call me back. And by that night, Senator Johnson called me back, and and this is after months where my wife's group had been reaching out to media, politicians, 
federal and state and local, and just completely ghosted. And I'm in tears thinking, oh, finally, finally there's somebody just willing to respond. And a few days later on a Sunday night, he, and he brings Dr. McCullough in and zooms in with- Peter McCullough. Peter McCullough, Dr. Peter McCullough. 60 people in my wife's group zooming in and, and Senator Johnson at home on a Sunday evening, taking notes for two hours, listening to these stories, asking questions. And then a couple days later, he says, well, <laughs> if, you, uh, if you are up for it, we could do a press conference. And uh, he goes, I'm willing to take the arrows. And uh, he's taking, he's taking, he takes a lot of arrows. And he said, you know, you might take some arrows too. And I, I said, and maybe Senator Johnson remembers, I said, well, I'll tell you what, compared to the answers to the questions I have to answer after giving up two sacks in a two minute offense against the Minnesota Vikings, I think this would be pretty easy. So I said, let's do it. So we get my wife and I and four others, including Maddie DeGary and Bree Dressen, uh, fly out to Milwaukee at the federal courthouse. We do a press conference, crazy. I'm looking, I'm, these women are telling their stories. Three to five minutes, pretty basic, pretty buttoned down. All the camera people, the people running the cameras, they got tears in their eyes. The reporters, see here, dinners and, you know, it's weird. It is different. It's just surreal. And uh, so we continue with the with the uh, website. I had three nurses all of a sudden that, that I got in touch with, that got in touch with me. And they're telling me what's really going on ground zero. So I put them in touch with Senator Johnson. I mean, some interesting things like this is what's really going on. This is who's really in the hospital and this is who's really sick. And then summer comes and the end of the summer and you start, I start getting calls from mothers of NFL first round draft picks because they got to take the shot. I get calls from, from athletes and moms of college ball players. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, we can talk, we can process it. Uh, but here's, you know, and there's some room because the, the NFL mandate, but there's union fights for the, a, a window of wiggle room. Allegedly. Like, yeah, like, like Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Yeah. You can jump through a bunch of hoops in the NFL and not take the, the shot. Yeah. But to me, and, and you being a former NFL player, well, I, I, I don't want to distract the conversation, but I, I just don't think no. much of DeMora Smith and, and his true affinity for football players. And, and But I, I don't want to distract from your wife and what you guys have, have gone through. It sounds, if not for Senator Johnson, you, you guys would still be being ignored. And it sounds like you've indicated to me, because I'm unaware of this, but if people were starting support groups on Facebook... They were, those support groups were getting shut down? Yes, hundreds in some groups, thousands in other groups. And, and they'd sh the, whole, the whole site's down, the whole, that whole Facebook's down, and now they lose contact with each other. So their only lifeline to anybody who knows what's going on with them, right? Now they're back in the desert alone. Let me quick interject because I want to go back to that event we held in Milwaukee where Ken was willing to expose himself. I mean, I, I knew I'd be attacked, um, but I was hoping that the, the reporters would cover that. And we probably had at least a dozen TV cameras here, yeah. right? 
um, would hear those stories and have some sense of compassion, right? The first question they asked out of the blocks was to Ken saying, what, are you in this for money? Are you doing this to, to, to sue somebody? And then it is true that their, their group had gotten to like 5,000 within a week. And these are people that were potentially suicidal and this group was being there to support. And Facebook shut the group down and severed those relationships with people who were talking to people like Dree Bresson and, and, uh, or Bree Dressen and other folks that were, again, they were a lifeline and they shut them down. So that's, that was the thanks that Ken, Ken Rutgers got for being part of this group. But I, I want to quick make yeah, that point. Kind of, you. Yeah. I, I, that, I, I just, the pharmaceutical industry, and as we heard from Robert Kennedy, obviously the military, Pentagon, CIA, is, is that motivated that we're disconnecting people from support groups I mean, this just it just sounds evil to me, Juan. That, that's a pretty good description of it. We are the we are the vaccines or, or the shots dirty little secret. We are proof that the the narrative isn't truthful. Joel, walk us through how you took the vaccine, why and, and what happened. Well, first of all, let me start Jason by saying I'm truly honored and humbled uh, you know, to be here with so many fearless warriors, and, and I really do appreciate everybody being here today. Um, so I'm an orthopedist. Uh, you know, I trained several years, you know, probably 15 years after high school, and I uh, had a practice in orthopedic surgery. I'm a specialist in joint replacement and really developed a very successful, large practice. And as, uh, as I say, I was kind of on the hamster wheel. I was part of the healthcare system, which... Um, you know, at, at one time, I certainly held it high regard. Uh, I believed what I was told. I can tell you a little bit more about my story. But to answer your question simply, my wife would say, I'm kind of book smart, but not too street smart. But, uh, but anyway, the real detail of my story was, was that I uh, was exposed to COVID in my clinic. You know, everyone got COVID, got sick, was out. I didn't understand why I never got sick. So I ended up getting antibody tested. I was antibody positive. And I had been part of a study earlier in the year and it was antibody negative. So I had been ex exposed and I had a really asymptomatic infection. And I'll be honest with you, I looked up in the CDC recommendations. I remember sitting in my clinic, pulling it up. What am I supposed to do? And this is September. It says, wait 90 days, get your September shot. September what year? September of 2020. Gotcha. So I literally looked up following CDC recommendations. Again, FDA, NIH, CD CDC, organizations that I trusted. I also had been, I had a friend who had bad COVID, got admitted after seven days of symptoms, got intubated, had a breathing tube or a tracheostomy put in, got no early treatment, really almost died. And, and that shook me too. And I'll be honest with you, that was November. And really without any putting any more thought to natural immunity, okay, I went ahead in December 30th of 2020, I got one Moderna shot. And I openly admit, I'm critical of myself. I've second-guessed myself, but I can't change the past. So moving forward, about a week later, I woke up from sleep and I said to my wife, I said, you know, my feet are numb. I really don't feel my feet. And I mean, and I kind of went on, got to work, and, and it, a couple days later, my feet were still numb. I was in seeing a patient, and I just tried to stand up. And, you know, it, it's a different sensation where your legs just won't move. 
So I pushed myself up and I just fell. And it's that time I knew that, you know, something was obviously more seriously going on. So, uh, you know, in healthcare, you know, it doesn't take us necessarily three to six to 12 months to get a diagnosis. I literally picked up the phone and said, I'm coming for an MRI. I called the MRI center. I'm coming for an MRI in my brain, my spinal cord. And really pretty much had a diagnosis the later that day is that I had a diagnosis of transverse myelitis or an injury in my, to my thoracic spinal cord. Um, it was somewhat eye-opening. I went to see a neurologist. Walk us through layman. How does a vaccine damage your spinal cord? So it has been reported. Uh, transverse myelitis is a, it's a condition where your immune system attacks your nerves, okay? So if it's a brain or spinal, or if it's a spinal cord, it's called transverse myelitis. If it's of your peripheral nerves in your arms or legs, that condition is called Guillain-Barre. So when your immune system attacks your nerve or your spinal cord, it attacks the lining called the myelin. And the myelin is what helps transmit the electrical impulse. So the front half of my spinal cord at about the T8 to T9 level is demyelinated. demyelinated. So the signals can't get by in that area. I can still walk and get by, you know, but my feet are numb and by the end of the day, I'll be numb up to my groin and, you know, I get burning in my, like I am right now, in my groin and my thighs. Um, I went to see a neurologist. I tried some treatment. Nothing really got better. He said, take two or three months off work. You know, I'm like, what? I mean, I'm a double A type personality. And I was like, okay, I'll take two weeks off. And then I went back to work for two days and I, I purposely just did half days. And that put me in bed. I mean, I think I was probably bedridden for about three days, you know, just from trying to work. And then that's when I kind of realized I just can't do this. So the rest of 2021, I would say was, you know, it was a tough year. And, and again, I, I hear what Ken's saying. You feel alone. I mean, you feel abandoned like you're on an island, that you're the only one. But, you know, because of my world's famous politician, Senator Ron Johnson, you know, I became then involved with kind of uh, Ken and his wife and Brianne Dressen. And then we ended up having another panel hearing out in the Senate. And I think that was December of 2021. And that's when really I remember I left. I called my wife and I said, you know, I found my passion. I found, you know, what I have to do, which was, you know, forming this organization. And, you know, React 19 now is a, you know, a nonprofit, grassroots, non-political, science-based organization. And, you know, with, without really even trying, you know, we, we've, you know, we now represent over 20,000 people that are injured by the COVID shots here in the United States. So, you know, and we're not just about telling our sad stories. I, I, I prefer not to tell my story, but because but I really want to try to take our negative reactions and turn it into positive actions. I want to help those that are injured, but truly I want to prevent more injuries. And that's what I want our organization to be about. I got to say this partially just in transparency to lighten the mood a little bit as well. But, you know, I'm meeting guys for the first time. I'm a little bit of an emotional person. Not a little bit. I'm an emotional person. 
So I want to warn everybody else, if you start crying like Joel is, it's going to make me cry. And then I'm going to get ripped because I rip people on TV. For I see athletes on TV crying about nothing, and, and, and I rip them for it. And, and, but when I hear real stuff, people in pain and just how people are being exploited, I get emotional. I can't believe I made it through the Robert Kennedy interview. Just sitting next to him, thinking of the sacrifice he makes, makes me want to cry. And Joel, you're making me want to cry. Uh, but but I, I get it, and that's why these stories are so important. People are getting damaged and destroyed, and everybody's walking around like nothing happened. And yeah. and that's got to hurt even more for you guys. Yeah, I mean, the people are like, I mean, I view, I mean, we know the truth, but I think there's just zombies walking around that just don't see the obvious. I mean, look at the news. you got people dropping dead left and right, and no one's really asking Questions. Let look. Let's look at the data. The only way we can get true and transparent data from our healthcare organizations is to FOIA request them and to sue them. Jason, part of the problem here is because the federal health agencies aren't admitting the vaccine injuries are real. You know, they're again safe and effective. They're, these are rare and, and uh, mild, right? That's uh, so people that are vaccine injured don't even realize it. Now, what you're going to see here is you're going to see a, a real movement by the COVID cartel to blame, because this is becoming undeniable now. I mean, people are dropping dead, athletes on the field, you'll be talking about that later. You can't deny it anymore. So now they'll shift the blame to long COVID. They'll do everything possible to make sure that the vaccines aren't blamed. And that's why it's so important for people to recognize that this may be a vaccine injury and that they contact their house member or the senator and tell the story. Because I, I can... Well, everybody can, listen like you're listening, though. Well, will everybody uh, take the call? Ho hopefully they will, but they haven't been called enough, okay? Or they've only met with staff. They have to be insistent and actually talk to the member and go in there with a the group. And, you know, I'm like kind of kid. Uh, Joel, you know, part of the problem is you look healthy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this, these neurological issues, unless you're some, you know, measure paralyzed or something... These people just look too healthy. Mm -hmm. But if they, if they tell their stories, because, you know, I can give you the data. You know, almost one and a half million adverse events on VAERS. You know, 33,469,000 deaths. Uh, by the way, six-month to 17-year-olds, 179 deaths, 569 permanent disabilities, 4,660 hospitalizations, 61,000 adverse events. Again, these are young people that didn't need to get the vaccine. So we, we can spout those stats. But there's nothing like talking to another human being and you know, seeing the real, the real emotion. I mean, this is what these people are going through. And so, again, I'm, I'm just, you know, anybody in your audience that you think you might have a vaccine injury, contact REACT19, contact these groups. We're going to do everything we can to kind of organize the effort to make it possible for them to see their House member or senator in their state or if they have the capability to get to Washington, D.C. because it's powerful. Members of Congress have to see this because right now they're not. Joel, I don't want to call into your business, but I just want people to fully understand your story and the impact. You had a very successful business. This has cost you a lot of money. Can, can you share some of that with us? Yeah, so uh, I'll tell you, I mean, I had a very large practice, was very successful, was very mature practice, meaning I just had to show up. I mean, I have a, you know, enough following and enough, you know, we call self-referrals, 
where you know I just had to show up if if uh, I wanted to you know if I was behind in my numbers I just took less vacation but I mean it was a great practice um, and I'm professionally devastated don't get me wrong uh, but fortunately you know I mean I'm married to my college sweetheart and I have four healthy children and I never although I have a passion for my job I certainly never defined myself by my job um, so I'm professionally devastated personally I'm still okay but the difference with me is I have disability insurance which you know probably 99% of the people in this country don't have so that financially makes a huge difference for me you know I did buy a lot of private disability insurance and, and therefore financially I'm secure. But for, for most people, they're financially, physically, and emotionally abandoned. You know, so, you know, I have, you know, family support, I have, you know, great kids, great wife, and I'm fine. But again, I, I do this honestly not for myself. I mean, I do it for, I mean, I could tell you so many stories uh, and I wouldn't even know where to start. Uh, but I really do it for the people that um, aren't as fortunate to have the support that I have. You know, I can tell you a story about Riley. There's a girl on the East Coast who's eight years old um, who got a shot, couldn't control her bowel or bladder after. I, w I was in diapers. I was basically paraplegic, paralyzed, couldn't walk. Uh, she was diagnosed with a functional neurological disorder. That just means in medical terms, you're crazy. Okay. She actually got admitted to an inpatient psychiatric ward for three weeks. She has CIDP. I mean, it, it, CIDP is like severe Guillain-Barre. It's chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy. But really, because of REACT-19, we got involved in our care, got a real diagnosis, got a real... REACT-19. REACT-19 is the nonprofit organization that we started. Gotcha. So by getting involved in her care, we were able to help her find a provider to get an actual diagnosis and actually get her care and treatment. And she's walking again out of diapers and back in school. You know, but we as an organization now are really providing the health care, okay, and, and the care that the health organizations, traditional doctors, and all the federal health agencies are supposed to be doing. We're doing it ourselves because we're not going to wait for them to do it because they're not doing anything. Guys, uh, thank you so much uh, for sharing your stories. Uh, I'll, I'll end with a little bit of humor. Wanted to stop myself from crying because Joel still looks like he wants to cry. I do want to be now. crystal clear here because my audience, I have to keep expectations. You don't know my audience. And so when you complimented Joel on how good he looks, a lot of the audience could come away with the... <laughs> belief that you think he looks better than me, and I'm sure that's not the case. Uh, so the audience rests. <laughs> now, Ken Maurer will be up here later. He looks like Pat Riley with the slick back hair. Uh, we had Robert Kennedy on here. If he had said that to Robert Kennedy, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd, that's a Kennedy I would give that, but Joel's not in my class. Uh, <laughs> John Stockton and I believe Steve Kaplan are gonna come up here next, along with uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. Uh, stay tuned, more of our COVID cartel special next. Atheists, the secular world, the culture uses our imperfection, our sins to take, shut up. You, you're, you can't stand on truth. And if 
all it was was imperfection, it eliminated us from standing on truth, this would be a very quiet place. I'm trying to be as loud as I can and as transparent as I can to try to inspire other men. We know you're imperfect, you know you're imperfect. God's grace and mercy, mercy gives you the right to stand on his truth and to speak that loudly into the culture and we, we have to do that. You can look around and say, these guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC, the NIH, they got the president. Is transgender surgery for children? Colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. What's the alternative? So you're gonna stop fighting today and you're gonna let the government raise your kids? And you're gonna turn around and let them chop off your 12-year-old daughter's breasts and let them sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl? And you're gonna let them make the Bible hate speech? You're the last line of defense here because nobody else is going to do it and God's going to walk with you. This is literally worth dying for. Absolutely. I'm telling you. So it's like everybody, that's a nice little metaphor. This is it. If there's a hill to die on, this is it. The Overton window has been moved right in front of our children's bedrooms. And there are all types of people that are trying to climb up in the ladder. And every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the, the window sill, you kick the ladder back down, let them know, you, you move on to the other house because we're not playing that around here. Sometimes just standing up, just saying no, we're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. Just declaring that, that's victory enough. In prepping his disciples, he tells Peter, he's like, listen, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're gonna face some ups and downs in life and we're not gonna always get it together. But if we stay on the path, if we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after his way, he's even praying for us. Now, I, I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ, I appreciate that, but to have Jesus pray for me, that make me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men. Once he's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folk out. You do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone, be confident in your position, and we're gonna inspire you. We're gonna eat, fellowship, listen to some music. It's gonna be the first of many roll calls that we do. So we're looking for soldiers, we're gonna put on our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers. Welcome back to a special edition of Fearless with Jason Whitlock. We're talking about the COVID cartel, people injured by our COVID uh, pandemic reaction, uh, the vaccine. Uh, we're now rejoined again by Robert Kennedy Jr. We're also joined by uh, one of the greatest basketball players in NBA history, one of the greatest basketball players in just in basketball's history, John Stockton. We wanted it to be Carl Malone, but we settled <laughs> for John Stockton. Uh, John has been on the show before. You guys have heard his story and what has gone on between uh, John and Gonzaga about the vaccine, about wearing a mask at the arena. John has become one of the outspoken voices uh, about the way we have handled the vaccine mandates and our reaction to COVID. Uh, you've also seen my good friend here to the left, Ken Maurer, on the show. 
Kenny's back with us. Kenny, a long time, 37 years NBA ref uh, that got ran out of the NBA because Kenny stood his ground and didn't want to take the vaccine. He's been involved in litigation, uh, dispute with the NBA. Clearly now he should be reinstated. And, you know, you had a chance of getting 40 years in as an NBA referee. And, you know, Kenny, you know, Kenny's about, what are you, 87, Kenny? Uh, but he could probably ref games and well into yes, his hundreds. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'd like to get Kenny back in the NBA. He's a Pat Riley lookalike, great friend to the show. And I, I, I've called Robert. I'm still going to stand on this, even though we have a Navy SEAL on set. Robert Kennedy's our greatest patriot here today, Steve. I don't mean to offend you. Uh, Steve Kaplan, a former Navy SEAL, uh, an American hero, a patriot, uh, has served our country with honor and distinction. Kenny, uh, Steve's here to help talk about what has gone on with the military and what the damage has done to morale, these vaccine mandates, and how th they're running out. I mean, just think about what type of guy joins the military and then joins the Navy SEAL. That's a rugged, masculine, fearless man. And now they want to inject that group of men with fear and the vaccine and things they don't believe in in order to serve, it's devastated our military. It's, it's devastated the morale. It's changed. Pro I'll, I'll let Steve explain. You know what, and Steve, I am going to start with you. Uh, right. John, I'm going to make you wait. John's the greatest person here, the most accomplished <laughs> person here, the most famous person here. But I'm going to start with Steve Kaplan, a guy that's been in the fire, in the mix. I, I can't They're changing the type of man that would be eligible to join this military with the vaccine and with, I don't know if I want to go down this road, but there's the woke politics. I don't know if I want you to go there, but it's just changing who joins the military, who's even eligible to be a Navy SEAL. It just seems to go against the entire personality of the type of guy that would join the military. That's totally true. And uh, we were actually talking last night about it. I think it, culturally, we'll go down a little bit down to world culture. Um, <clears throat> the type of men that America is producing now are a bunch of wussies, to be blunt about it. And that's broad stroke. There's always outliers. And I think the major problem with that is fatherlessness uh, across the Western culture. Steve, really. would you like to host this show? You're, you're, or have you been listening to this show? I talk about this every day. Continue, right? please. All right. <laughs> Well, there's was, there was a lot of studies that have been done in, in, um, in our community, in the SEAL community. Not very many guys are SEALs. It's very few. Uh, so th there's a lot of studies that universities have done, psychiatrists, psychologists have all done, and over many, many, many years. And they found two common factors among SEALs, and pretty much only two. And again, this is also broad stroke. There's always outliers. But the two most common things that, that's important uh, or that stick out are they come from really good families with strong fathers that stay together and they're good at chess. And they're good at chess. Oh, really? We're strategic thinkers. Um, that's the two most common things. Are you things. on chess.com? What's that? Are you on chess.com? No, because oh. I beat everybody. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and I, I look at the whole situation that's going on right now. We were also talking about this last night. I look at, you know, we, we, we argue very much uh, on a tactical level. If there's anything that I'm an expert in amongst all these great people here, um, and, and I'm truly humbled to be in the presence of such great men and women here, 
uh, is that I, I see things from a very tactical way. I'm, I'm an expert in, in tactics. Tactics are like, I kick that door down over there. Number one guy goes left, number two guy goes right, number three guy goes left, number four guy goes right. These are the words I say, and that's how we move to whatever flow through a house to capture the bad guy or whatever we're doing. It's all tactics, and, and in SEAL community, we argue tactics all the time. What's the best tactics? And I listen to a lot of what's going on, not just even here today, but to just the talk and the chatter goes on amongst like-minded people like ourselves. And all we do is argue tactics and we can win on the tactical level, but the tactical level is the lowest common, that's the lowest level of the pyramid. Above that, you have a strategic level and above that, you have the operational level. And, um, and none of that even matters, but the capstone or the, 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 the top of the pyramid, if you will, is, uh, well, one, you have to define what victory looks like. So we're talking about vaccines, vaccine mandates. We're talking about uh, what it's done in the medical world. The medical world is very much a, a strategic operation. Um, and, then, and then you could break that down to, into subcategories and we'll call those tactics. Uh, how do you win in Washington? How do you win in the schools? How do you win in all these different things? Those are all tactics. Uh, the operational level, like in the military, we went Operation Iraqi Freedom. Operation Enduring Freedom. These are big operations with all different pockets of strategic ways of looking at it. And then the tactical level, which is where I usually step in as a SEAL. And that's very much on a, on a, uh, a military mindset. So I look at the world around us from that, from that perspective. And the enemy is 10 steps ahead of us. They'll let us win on the tactical level. I'd let us win on a tactical level too. You win that little battle over there, win that little battle over there. But unless we define what victory looks like, what the heck's the point? What does victory look like? And not just on victory day one, what does victory look like on day two and week one and month one and year seven and to my kids and my grandkids, what does victory look like? Then it gives prudence to the actual conversation that we're having on the tactical level. How do we win this? Because on the tactical level, now we've satisfied the strategic uh, arena. And then that, that winning of that strategic arena satisfies the operational arena and then we define, then we actually walk out our victory. But even then, none of that matters until you define who the bad guy is. You know, a boxer could be a great boxer, but if he's beaten the wind, it's, it's irrelevant. But until he connects with the enemy, nothing matters. So the real question is, is who's the enemy? What does victory look like? As it relates to the as it relates to vaccine COVID, and COVID, vaccines, that's you, just part who, of the battle. Who's the enemy in your view? Or who's, who's the well, bad guy? I look at everything from a biblical perspective. I'm a Christian. Um, you should be hosting this show. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> You're speaking my language. <laughs> and this is, a, this is a spiritual war. You know, I've faced, I've faced a lot of bad guys, looked them eye to eye. I've seen a lot of evil in this world. Um, but evil's the same. It comes in many different forms. It comes through terrorism. It comes through these stupid government mandates, it's another form of evil. The question is, is who's behind the evil? And I would tell you straight up, it's Satan. And I think the only answer is Jesus. And I mean that not going to church, but I do mean that um, on a individual basis, an actual encounter on a one-on-one -on -one basis with God. That changes the person from the inside out. We're talking about trying to change institutions from the outside in. And it's never worked. And fear is the most powerful weapon. Like, I was a SEAL, right? So 
we go down range, the guy behind the trigger is the last piece of the puzzle. It's the last piece, but there's so much more that happens before that we call it preparing the environment. There's a lot of, you know, if, if I kick this door down and try to take out everybody in this room, if everybody's waiting for me, you'd be the best Navy SEAL in the world. Doesn't matter, you're dead. The enemy's waiting for you. But if you can cause chaos and confusion and separation in that same room, they could be way better than you combatively. But if I can have people arguing in the corner over there, if I could have people battling it out over here and they're no longer, un they're not united, you can have a stinking teenager who doesn't know anything but airsoft come into this room and take everybody out. And that's what I see happening on the bad guys operational level is how to cause chaos and confusion and division amongst people that would normally stand you know, hand to hand, arm to arm, um, at least as Americans to fight whatever the enemy is, but now we're so divided, Republican against Democrat, you know, religious things, everybody Belief in our constitution other. has been undermined. We don't even value freedom. That's no. why well, that's what fear it's does. easier to separate us because we're not, there's certain things about America that were so great that we united around that. They've undermined all confidence and faith in that and have us divided, oh, you're white, you got white privilege, right. I'm black, X, Y, and Z, oh, your everything you're saying is never, your identity is your sexuality or sexual preference, not your identity in God. Those were our founding principles. We're all image bearers of God. Totally. That was our primary identity. So I would look across and see Steve Kaplan. Oh, that's a Christian, and I'm a Christian. We're image bearers of God. That's not a white guy. That's an image bearer of God. They've separated us on that level, and they're using fear. Oh, there's this boogeyman COVID that's stronger than anything God's ever created. You better take this vaccine. I'm sitting over here with a biblical worldview going, I know somebody greater than COVID. Jesus. Yeah. Right? I'm good. And where is fear standing that? It doesn't. It doesn't. One of the things that makes us so effective as SEALs is that we're willing to die. And a person that's willing to die is a very dangerous person. Well, a father in a home, if someone's kicking down your door in your home and wants to do damage to your family, you're willing to die for your wife and kids, as you should if you're a real man. I mean, that makes you a very dangerous man. Come after a, come after a, a man's family? Yeah, good luck with that. First, you got to tie up the strong man. And that's what, we've, that's what we've done in this nation. And we've silenced those of all these people in this room um, through a lot of different ways. Like we took them off Facebook, we took them off Twitter. We, we, we took away their voice, we've silenced them. We've tied up the strong man. And we watched the enemy ransack everything that we believe in. We, and now we, it's damage we, control. Yeah, we, we've called <clears throat> the sun of Robert Kennedy, a conspiracy theorist. On, that's how we've defined someone. It's crazy. He's it, one of the most brilliant men I've ever met in my entire life. It's nuts. It's absolutely crazy. Him. It's nuts. Ken Maurer's been silenced in the NBA. It, it's not quite as serious as what we were just talking about, but uh, Ken, you know, I know much of my audience knows your story. I've seen you on the show. But where do things stand now with you and the NBA? I know you, you've been involved in some litigation with them. It seems like they're just hoping you'll quit or give up. Well, that's what they do. I mean, they try to, in their own way, Steve's so right, they try to instill fear 
where they try to, you know, um, weigh you out, however you want to call it. And, um, you know, I went with the EOC for a long, long time and found out that they really weren't, they really weren't looking at any cases. They were actually pushing them underneath the rug and we went almost 11 months and no cases were being heard around the United, the entire United States. And so we, I filed for what was called a right to sue. And uh, we got that immediately because they want you to either mediate, drop it, or go to the federal courts. So I'm filing now in federal court. And it's gone, I guess you could call it almost like warp speed. Our attorney, my attorney, who's excellent at what he does, is, I mean, we're into the changing, you know, production papers, documents, we're into the discovery, we're into the mediation, the end of the month, we've got scheduling for depositions, we've got a court date. And um, my, my stance, Jason, has never changed. I mean, being part of this group, what you've done uh, here is, is phenomenal in that um, everybody's here for various reasons and, but it's all basically the same thing. It's all, you know, freedom. It's whether it be medical freedom, whether it be religious freedom. I, I follow religious and medical exemption. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't believe in abortion. I, I've said this to you before. You know, we, we have the same stance. I, I, don't, I don't believe in the mRNA changing someone's, you know, DNA. I believe this is how we were created. I mean, they try to, the NBA tries to get into, you know, well, what do you think about the vaccine? Well, I have my opinions on the vaccine. I know what's happened. I read, I look what's happened the last 12 months. I see it. I know all these people that are hurt, all these people that are, you know, suffering and dying. But, you know, uh, Steve was right. I mean, it, it's all, it, I believe it is biblical. I believe it, it's good versus evil. And this, this, what's going on in our country right now is evil. It's Satan. And I'm a child of Christ. I'm not afraid to admit that I'm a Christian. I think so many people in this country are afraid to say they believe in God. Why? I'm not afraid to say it. Steve, you afraid to say it? No, they're all I mean, Not at all. I mean, I, I love our Lord, and I'm a, I believe in God. My faith has been strengthened. My marriage is stronger than ever. Certain friends are, 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 are I'm strong with certain friends. I've reacquainted myself with people, you know, that I, that I used to know that I, that, that have, sure, it's the same mindset, but it's people that basically, you know, have a faith in God, that believe in, in, in our Lord. This is, this is, what's going on is not right. So, I'm moving forward with the lawsuit. Oh, I don't know where it's going to take me, Jason. I'm, I, 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 I tell people I've already won. The, I've won. The current NBA referees now, they don't have to be vaccinated, well, right? No, there's, the players have never been vaccinated. I've, I've talked about that with John. They've never, been, they've never had to be forced to be vaccinated. Forced to be vaccinated. Yes. Many of them voluntarily. Yes. Or, um, or through coercion. There you go. I was just right. going to say coercion. Yeah. The referees just signed a new seven-year contract, and there's no mandate. There's no mandate, but they said that I have to take the vaccine to come back. So when you have find an answer for that, you can call me anytime you want. And I'll, I'll listen to that call. And, uh, and, and that's why it's going to be fine, funny to see. I, I'm looking forward. I mean, do, I, do you want to go to trial? Do you want to be going through all this? All of us that are fighting our own. No, but you know what? You either, you either sit back and die or you fight. And we fight. We fight for what's right. Look what he's doing. I mean, look what John, all of us here in this room, all of us. Uh, and, and I'm proud to be a part of this group. I'm, I'm, I, the, the people are standing up. We're not here for any other reason other than to get the word out, Jason. We're not, no, no, none of us are making any money here. None of us are doing it for any, any kind of, you know, you know we want to be looked at in a, in a positive sense or that we're, we want to be, you know, heralded. No, we're here because we want to get, we want to help you and, you know, you know, Robert Kennedy, Senator Johnson, all of us want to get the word out to people. What is going on here? to try to help people not only today, but in the future. And I'm going to stand by my religious beliefs. I'm not going to sway, and uh, I'm going to win. So 
listen to that, are, are you going to return the $10,000 check that I gave you to appear on the show? No. No. Okay. <laughs> no. no. You got paid for this? For no, you. I didn't. <laughs> I know that the NBA hasn't called you and given you an apology. They haven't talked to me, Jason, since uh, it's been almost two years. They nothing. No. And so has Gonzaga called its greatest alum. You got in a dispute with them about vaccines, masks, whatever. You've been proven right. Have they apologized or? No, uh, I'm not really looking for an apology either. I, I Where that sits presently is I was welcome to get my tickets back if I chose this year. And um, one thing that struck me in the process, I receive all the newsletters from school uh, still. I have kids that went there. I went there. My wife went there. My my dad, my grandparents, so on, so forth. We get the newsletter, and and in the newsletter it said, it just are, just as a matter of policy, we're still recommending, not recommending, we're requiring um, vaccines and boosters for attendance at, at school. And I looked at that similarly to the way I looked at the mask issue. Uh, it's it's these kids don't necessarily know better. For one, you know, they're not doing the research. They don't have the time that I do to research things or look into them, read read on my own, ask questions. Um, they don't have time. Maybe they don't even have the concern. And a lot of kids I'm finding out are, are, are they do offer a religious exemption, by the way, which um, is, is their get out of jail free card. And um, I don't think that's good enough. I, I think so many kids are either embarrassed or, or scared or, or maybe they're not going to church regularly and are a little bit um, bashful about saying, look, I have religious beliefs that are you know heartfelt. And, and so they're, they're a little reluctant to write in a letter why their religious beliefs should get them out of these shots. Anyway, my feeling on it is that that doesn't matter. You don't have the right, it's it's still experimental use vaccines. If you want to use the term vaccine, you don't have the right to force, you don't have the right to coerce it. You have a duty to these kids for their, especially in light of the fact that it has negative e efficacy at this point. We all know it. I mean, it's even the CDC is announcing negative efficacy. You have more chance of getting COVID if you've been if you've been, if you received the shots than if you didn't. With that in mind, and with the fact that kids in that age group are, are almost a statistical zero chance of getting COVID, there's no reason to still require it. None. There's no. They, they, there was um, governor Pro, governor's proclamation. There was the health district, which still puts out ads, by the way, all around town that the the next shot is good for both the original and the Omicron, et cetera, et cetera. And you look at them and say, how, how can you even make that statement and be part of public health? It, it seems absurd that they could say that with a straight face. Anyway, long story, long story short, uh, I chose not to, to resume my tickets um, as long as they hold that policy in place. And uh, I feel like, I, I don't know who mentioned it before, but I feel like it's my duty to stand up for these kids until they understand what freedoms are given away and they understand how, how uh, desperate their situation really is, that they're giving away freedoms that, that, that people have fought, uh, present people, uh, our parents, our grandparents have fought for, for these freedoms and, and we're, we're just by not paying attention, giving them back. John, I think, and because I, I was a sports writer throughout pretty much the entirety of your career, I'm not sure if there was really ever a negative word said about you or your reputation while you were a player. I would, in basketball, I would call you pretty much the Walter Payton of basketball. Wow. And, and, and then years after you retire, you get in a dispute with Gonzaga about COVID 
And now I, I read negative. It's like John Stockton's a nutty guy. He's, it's like now it's legal to say bad things about John Stockton and, and people are doing it. It's like you're some sort of weirdo when your entire reputation, nothing but respect across the board from your competitors and from everybody in the media, but this issue has turned the media against you. I'm sure you're, you're probably somewhat oblivious. You don't care, <laughs> but but you are. This is just, it's weird to me that, that for 50 some odd years, you were known as one guy and then you stand on this issue and now, well, John Stockton's a bad guy. Well, this issue's important to me, and if that's if that's how it goes, that's how it goes. But just in our culture today, it's it's really there's so many things that can get you on a list where it gives people license to ruin you, to ruin your life, to ruin your reputation, to ruin your family's life and reputation, and, and it's it's wrong. And that's really the things why I'm speaking out where where I'd rather not be. Uh, I didn't like speaking out when I was playing. I, I don't particularly like it now. Um, but it's a wrong at such a deep level that, that people can destroy your life uh, for having a difference of opinion, um, that they can take away your freedoms, that they can force you to take uh, a gene therapy, they can force you to take a test to avoid the gene therapy. I mean, that's an invasive, invasive, the old PCR test, and that they could be a, uh, have access to our medical records. Did we do it? Did you not do it? It's none of their business. And I mean, I saw, I saw that sitting there watching TV with my dad as a youngster, the things that he thought were, were important and crucial to America, they've all been dented in a big way, um, crushed in some ways. And, and it just, it's just not okay for me to stay silent. I'm, I'm hoping that other people like me who would rather be sitting at, the home, at home at the couch will, will step up and start saying things because I do, I do think it impacts people. If, if people in, in professions where you have a little status or you have a little attention, if, if they use your voice a little bit, it's amazing what impact it can have. John, I've been disappointed and shocked that, and again, it's not about me agreeing with everything Kyrie Irving has done or does or will do. It, it's, but on the vaccine issue, he was dead right. And I've been shocked and disappointed that former players and current players haven't been really outspoken on his behalf. Especially publicly. I mean, you don't know. Could, could, a, could a group of 40 players gone into the commissioner's office and say, look, this is wrong. You know, we're, we're putting our jersey down saying we're not playing if you don't do it like the movies. But I, I, don't, I don't suppose that's happened, uh, and it sure hasn't publicly. But I, it's, it's been a frustration of mine. It goes back to a lot of things in sports. When you see somebody getting picked on for whatever it is, and, and you know that the majority of us feel a certain way and that we should be defending it, we stay quiet. Um, again, we, so much of the world is like sports, the microcosm of life. And um, I, I just think that that's why you have sports figures on these shows. Uh, we experience life in, in really short spurts, but it carries over to everybody. And it's, it's really important that athletes, that, that they pay attention, read up, be informed, and speak. Robert, you have such a unique perspective uh, to offer all of us. It, it, can you, is there some historical perspective in terms of where we're at in American culture where we don't, you know, I think of your uncle saying, you know, ask not what your country can do for you or ask what you can do for your country. And, and 
we're so far away from that mentality. Everybody's all about what's in it for me, and we're all slaves to big corporations. Or, or and 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 I, I, can you put any kind of historical perspective on, or is there any comparison other countries that are gone through or going? What's happening to us? Um, that's a good question. The if you look. Uh, Across American history, there's been other times when there's an equivalent level of polarization and division, for example, in the years uh, prior to the Civil War. Um, there, uh, there have been times when corporations have exercised an equivalent control over government uh, during the Gilded Age in the 1880s and 1890s when we really effectively lost democracy. And Here then, in this country, in this country, in that period, and then you had a, you know, the, the, you had the, this movement led by uh, a very charismatic leader, Teddy Roosevelt. Um, at that time, the corporations really controlled the state legislatures, and there was no direct election of senators. The senators were appointed to the legend by the legislatures. The legislatures were just owned and traded like chess pieces by the big corporations. It was said of the Pennsylvania legislature that none of them are for sale um, because John D. Rockefeller owns all of them and he won't sell any of them. Um, but that's you know how the, the country operated back then. There were no income taxes, so corporations, the wealth of corporations was as you know as much as we see these billionaires now running our country. It was even John D. Rockefeller was wealthier comparatively than Elon Musk and Bill Gates and, you know, Sergey Brin combined. So there was this tremendous wealth and, and there was no, you know, people were really pushed around. There were no labor unions. There was no, uh, there was no 40 hour work week. There was child labor. Women couldn't vote. And, um, you know, and then, uh, and corporations could give unlimited amount of money to the political process. So you really had a total domination. And then during the first decade of the 1900s, you had the Sherman Antitrust Law. You had a 40-hour work week. You had women's suffrage. You had the Sherman Antitrust Act, which break, broke up Standard Oil and the big uh, Rockefeller corporations and all the other ones. You had an income tax that where corporations for the first time had to start paying that way. But, and these are details we don't need to go into. The question is, have we ever come back from what we're in right now? And that is an impossible question to answer. And the reason for that is because technology gives this huge advantage uh, to, to, to totalitarian systems. So we're really in an arms race right now where we're, you know, the, um, the capacity of government to intrude and control human behavior and to monitor it is greater than it's ever been in history. The ambition of every totalitarian system throughout history has been total control of every aspect of human behavior, of every transaction, of what you read, of what you see, your correspondence with other people, ultimately your thoughts. And, but none of them have been able to manage it. You know, none of them have been able to achieve anything close to that because you could hide. There was places you could hide, you could escape, you could run away. Today, that's been a race. You literally, you know, because of 
uh, facial recognition systems all around. Bill Gates is putting up 61,000 satellites, low um, orbit satellites, which he says his satellites alone, there's going to be 415,000 of them altogether that have already been licensed or begun. His fleet alone will be able to monitor every square inch of the Earth 24 hours a day. They have technology that can look through buildings, and Steve knows about that. They have, um, we're going to uh, vaccine passports so that our social credit system um, will be ranked on our passports. You have digital currencies, which we're all moving to. And they're going to, right now, they're using the excuse of pandemics to say, we got to get rid of paper currency. Well, because it, it spreads germs. But once you get rid of paper currency, then you end up with a digital currency, which is run by the government. And this is what they have in China. It's called programmable currency. So if you misbehave, for example, when the, when the truckers went into Montreal, into yeah. Ottawa, they, um, the Ottawa government froze all their bank accounts. Now, those truckers were not charged with a crime. They simply went and looked at their license plates, and any truck that had a license plate that was in Ottawa at that time, they were their bank accounts. They couldn't pay their mortgage. They couldn't pay the lease on their truck. They couldn't pay for food for their kids. In China, they have programmable currency that says, if you... If you're seen by a facial recognition camera during the time when they say, everybody put their mask on this week, everybody's got to put their mask on. If you're seen without your mask on by facial recognition, they know where you are because you've got GPS on your watch and you're, you know, you're, your devices in your house are all listening to you. You know that. You know you talk about you need a new pair of boots and 10 minutes later there's a boot advertisement on your you know, cell phone. Well, they have the capacity to listen to every conversation you have. They're looking at 100% of our correspondence, our emails. They have the capacity to do that. And so let's say you're out on a day when it's supposed to be masking and you didn't wear your mask or social distancing and you got too close to your girlfriend that day, they're going to know it. And then they can say, okay, you're non-compliant. We're going to punish you for two weeks your credit cards will only work in grocery stores that are within six blocks of your home. If you want to take a trip, you can't buy gas. You can't, you know, you can't spend money anywhere else. And once they control the currency, it's total control of everything you do. And there's no dissent. You guys know that during this pandemic, I went and spoke at a, a demonstration in Berlin in August of 2020 and 1.3 million people on it. It did not appear on a single news network or, or newspaper in this country. There were demonstrations across Europe in Paris and Austria and Australia with millions of people, but they were invisible. So they control the media and they are now putting in place all of these, you know, uh, this digital capacity to control literally every um, aspect of human behavior. Now, when I was at the beginning of the pandemic, they tell everybody to go lock themselves inside. Right? They know that this disease only spreads inside. It doesn't spread outside. What's the worst thing that you can do? What, are the, what is the highest 
risk factor. People have low vitamin D, so they're people who are not in the sun enough, and people are overweight. So you lock everybody in the house for two years, and the, the average weight of Americans grew by 22 pounds, according to CDC. So you're making people more likely to get sick and more likely to die. And, uh, and then you're telling them not to go outside. In, uh, near where I live in, Mal in Malibu, I don't live in Malibu, but I surf there. And the surfers were out on the ocean. The police show up on motorcycles and give them each a $1,000 ticket and tell them to go lock themselves at home. Does it make any? They went to, in Venice, California, where the kids are all out, poor kids, in the skateboard park on the half pipes. They threw sand in the half pipe so people couldn't skate. They went to Compton, Harlem, all the black neighborhoods in our country, and they put padlocks on the playgrounds so people cannot get out of their house. They, where they couldn't put the padlocks on, they took down the basketball hoops. So the one thing that people could do to really help themselves was to go out now, if you're non-compliant with that, they were giving those surfers $1,000 tickets. They don't need to do that anymore. Once they have digital currency, they know who that surfer is, they got him on facial recognition, they know his car is parked there because they got a GPS. They just give them a thousand dollars, they deduct thousand dollars from it. They, they can trace every transaction and tax it. If you go out and, you know, if somebody goes, you're not gonna have any secrets. If you go out and buy a porn magazine or a, a beer, you know, or you take your girlfriend out or whatever, they're gonna know about it. And so, you know, and, and we are now in kind of an arms race. We're trying to alert the public and build the size of our army. But at the same time, they're putting in place this kind of turnkey totalitarianism. And when they turn it all on, it's over. Because there's no way you can't make a noise without them asking about it. And that's why I can't answer your question, because never in history has government and totalitarian elements in our government had the capacity to exercise such exquisite and total and pervasive control over every aspect of human behavior. And they can do it now, and they've put in place all of these rights that they now have to read our mail, to look at your, e your emails, to look at your communications, to listen to what you're saying to people. And you know, there's, it's impossible to know, no matter how great the human spirit is, whether that kind of um, uh, infrastructure of control and power can be challenged by, you know, by human energies and intuitions. We don't know. <clears throat> On that upbeat note, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I will, Steve, I'm going to give you the final word because you've already, you got us to the ending already, particularly listening to this. We only got one solution and we know his name. We know it's, it's, if we don't have some kind of reawakening, spiritual reawakening, return to God, it's toast. Well, like I said, uh, someone that's willing to die is a very dangerous person. And if you've already laid your life down and given it to the Lord, don't matter anymore. And we read the end of the book. It talks all about this. If you don't take the mark, you can't participate in the world's economic system. You can't buy or sell during COVID. This, this, I think this whole thing's a massive beta test anyway. 
So it's a massive distraction and a beta test at the same time for what you're talking about, 100%. So uh, I, I live in Hawaii. Uh, I retired out of the SEAL teams. I started a company. It's an adventure company called Trident Adventures, and it's focused on tourism. So not only did tour, tourism, I mean, tourism was shut down and I was mandated by the government that I had to shut my doors. I can't, I can't do anything. I can't make money. I can't pay my employees. Uh, it, I mean, it's, it's an economic death sentence. Uh, and then when I was allowed to open, oh, almighty government, thank you. Uh, I was allowed to open at a 25% capacity. Meanwhile, Walmart down the street's 100%. You know, Costco's 100%. McDonald's. McDonald's, yeah, I sure. I was in that line. Yeah, somehow they're all, they're all essential. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but everybody else can just die. And that was, it was a massive death sentence. And most small businesses died uh, in Hawaii. I just, I mean, I honestly made it through because my business partner is a very gracious man with me and he's the money behind the company. That's the only reason why I even survived. If, it, if he didn't step in, I'd be toast. But I watched what happened. I couldn't go... I have so much respect for you. I've never once worn a mask. And I, and I, and I got kicked out of my location because of my uh, lack of bowing the knee to the COVID response. Uh, it cost me about $1.6 million. But integrity matters way more than earning a dollar. And one day I'm going to stand face to face with my creator. Actually, I'll probably be down on the floor. You know. but, uh, but I want to be proud of my life. Uh, I want to live a life that says thank you to him. I mean, my life's not my own. It's his anyway. And I just know, uh, you were talking about, you know, people, people don't, uh, they don't stand up for their, what they believe, you know, a bunch of wussies. And most Christians are a bunch of wussies too. So if there's anything, if I get the last word, I would say this, if you're a believer, uh, grow some balls, stand up, be a man, for women, whatever that means for you, girls and whoever's, I don't know. Is Tyler but, still here? I think we need a fearless in Hawaii. Because, man, I'm telling you, you're, you're saying everything that I believe. Well, we see eye to eye because we stand on the same foundation. That's right. The foundation of the word of God, which I'll definitely die by if I need to. So, yeah, I'll never bow the knee to this stupid system, even if it takes my life. Oh, well. Oh, well, I was willing to die for my country as a Navy SEAL. I'll definitely die as a man, as a Christian. My daddy is wrapped up in Christ, not as a Navy SEAL, not as a business owner in Hawaii, um, not as someone talking on the show right now. It's all about Jesus. Yep. And what you do in life echoes throughout eternity, to, to quote, what's that awesome movie from the Bible, Gladiator. So <laughs> I want my, my life story to echo, uh, and I want to be proud of the life that God gave me as a big thank you to him. All right, uh, we're going to keep the show rolling. Nick Rolovich, former Washington State uh, head football coach, lost his job. He's going to be here to unpack his story. Uh, Beth Faber, longtime ESPN employee, uh, got pushed out of her job at ESPN over the vaccine. Chris Singleton, former Major League Baseball player, former ESPN radio broadcaster, pushed out over the vaccine. We'll hear from them next. Welcome back. Continuing with our COVID special. I'm now joined by, to my left, former Washington State head football coach, Nick Rolovich. Nick uh, lost his job over 
uh, his refusal to uh, take the experimental vaccine. Uh, to my right is former Major League Baseball player, former ESPN radio broadcaster, Chris Singleton. Chris, uh, run out of ESPN as well, as well as Beth Favor to my far right, former ESPN radio producer for nearly three decades. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you filed for a religious exemption. I did. And, and I'm not surprised ESPN denied it. I don't even know if ESPN <laughs> believes in God. Uh, <laughs> let me, I don't want to take any shots. Anyway, uh, I want these guys and we'll go, ladies first, Beth, if you could unpack what, what happened to you at ESPN. Well, um, I, as, as you said, I worked for ESPN for 29 years, mostly um, the, the last 25 or so, mostly remote. I produced MLB games, NBA games, uh, National Football League, college football, college football championships. And I traveled when we could through COVID. And then I was in the bubble and I did the masking. The NBA bubble. Yes, I was in the NBA mm -hmm. bubble. I did the masking and the testing. And I did the quarantine. I did all that even before the vaccine was available. Um, and I love I loved my job. And I was really good at my job. Um, but I love my faith. And my faith is my foundation. And when they came out with uh, this email early in, I guess it was April or May, that said they were talking about mandating this vaccine in order to travel. I immediately expressed my concerns and said I had some, some very strong beliefs against it and uh, a lot of them religiously based. I mean, I, I never discussed- Walk us through those. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm pro-life. I'm 100% pro-life. I'm a devout Catholic. It's not, it, you know ESPN, it's not a comfortable thing to talk about in that workplace, in that environment. Um, I was still able to practice my faith when I traveled. I mean, I had the masstimes.org app on my phone. Anytime we did games, I always knew where the mass was Saturday night, Sunday morning. Um, and I knew, I knew they used the board of fetal tissue in testing manufacturing. I knew that. And I know that that would have been a sin for me to inject that in my body. At the same time, I, you know, Disney is this all-inclusive company, you know, it's supposed to be welcoming to everybody. I really thought right up to the end that they were going to, they were going to accommodate me in some way because, you know, because my religious beliefs were very sincere. And the other thing that was so crazy was right up to the end, they produced the NBA finals, um, Phoenix and Milwaukee. And I don't know how many people are aware, you know, the disaster that with Maria Taylor and Rachel Nichols and yeah. the commissioner had to address all this and all these racial issues and whatever. And the commissioner had to talk about that before game one of the NBA finals. And I'm in communications with ESPN. And are you really serious? You're going to discriminate against me religiously with what is happening nationally and the reputation that's going on? with, you know, the, the other, you know, side show, and it didn't seem to matter. What did they, how did, you, you file your religious exemption mm -hmm. and they just say, no, we don't believe you, or, um, or our company policy doesn't allow that? Or? They questioned me. It was mostly through um, human resources. Um, they questioned me, and then they told me that um, the Pope got the vaccine, so... I should automatically go along with what the Pope did. And then um, I said, my beliefs are sincere. My own beliefs that I don't really, that doesn't matter to me. The Pope got it. And then um, 
then they asked me for, since I, I, I did tell them I was a Catholic, they asked me to go to my church and to ask my pastor or my, my parish pastor to sign a letter or be able be open to talking to them about my beliefs. And I said, <laughs> I, I don't, and nobody else can speak for me and my, mm. my relationship with God and my personal religious beliefs. Yeah. And then they kept, so they kept delaying. First I was, I had to have it by August 1st. Then I get another communication that happened by August 8th. Then they delayed it again a couple of weeks. And finally they, uh, they terminated me. I, you know, there was, a, there was a number of things I could have done and was willing to do. I mask and test like I had done over and over, you know, or call ahead. I offered to help with the schedule and then I could call ahead to stadiums and venues where they were accepting just negative tests, which I was more than willing to do. And I really thought they would accommodate me and, and in some way, shape, or form, and they, they terminated me. Beth, you have family or kids or, mm-hmm. you know, losing your job. How did that impact you and your family? Um, I have three kids. Um, I, I'm divorced. Um, it, was so cra- it was so crazy. I lost my dad the week after um, I lost my job. It was very strange. I, you know, I had a ton of support. Chris, you know, I have, I have some people that are like-minded that were very supportive. But my own family, you know, people that I didn't discuss the vaccine with, cousins, aunts, and uncles, still stand like 10 feet away from me, like social distance from me. Once they became aware that I did not have this vaccine and that it was so important for me not to have it, you know, they treated me differently. My own friends, you know, high school, college, people still stood 10 feet away from you and kind of stopped communicating with you and thought you're crazy, you know, thought you were, it, 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 it's very isolating. Have you been able to find a new job? Um, I've done some part-time work and some projects and, and working for some friends and stuff. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm working on some other things, but no, nothing full-time right now. Are you suing ESPN? I am. And I am suing ESPN. Um, the court papers were just filed on January 11th. Um, Allison Williams is on um, the lawsuit with me. Um, she was not accommodated either, and we've become pretty good friends. We went through a lot of the same things. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen with it. I mean, you know, we're they're big and lots of money and lots of attorneys. I don't know what's going to happen with it. But I couldn't let it just lie. You know, you can't just walk away and say it was it was a fair or right thing to do. And what happens next? You know, what happens with the next whatever? Then everyone's going to have to roll up their sleeve, the whole entire company to get whatever the next experimental thing is, no matter what their beliefs are. There's got to be. It's crazy what we've been going through. It's crazy. Chris, what 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 happened to you? Well, uh, Beth and I were kind of in, in the same boat. We were in a foxhole together, and uh, we got a lot closer, uh, you know, during those months because uh, we were kind of on an island. And uh, we'd work together. You know, she does basketball. She does some college football, but she'd also do the postseason um, on uh, ESPN Radio, uh, which we both did for a very long time. And, uh, you know, similar to Beth, the email came out somewhere in May or, or June that, um, by August 1st, if you don't have this shot, uh, you will not be able to, uh, work at 
the ballparks, the stadiums, wherever it may be. And um, what was interesting is that 2020, we did games from home. 2021, we were doing games from home. Now, the vaccine's out already. They decide to send us out on the road in starting in like July. I did the all-star game, all that. Just needed a negative test. And, and what I found perplexing because I am a very you know, thoughtful in terms of my body, um, certified in health and nutrition. I understand what I'm doing to my body. I was tracking this whole process and I saw what was coming and where it was going. And so my concern was that if you if you were concerned about our health and safety, why would you send us back out on the road and say, okay, August 1st is when you need to have this shot, um, but we're gonna send you, you know, back out to do some games. You go to the All-Star game, you can get a test a week before the the All-Star game and it's good for seven days. So go get a test, test negative, go party, go do whatever you want to go do. And it's all good. And, and how are you looking out if you're really looking out for safety and protection and wellness? There was nothing in place um, at the ballparks or anything that would signal that we're trying to protect you guys. And so I went toe to toe. Um, it, it escalated quickly for me up to legal because I was very well armed, understood, informed consent, um, put to them uh, just what what type of, of uh, liability were they willing to to take on if something, if I was to be injured by this or something was to happen. And they were quick to say, listen, we're not taking on any of those things. They they put it on the on their partners, saying, "Well, ballparks, they're requiring this. It's the stadiums, it's the ballparks." I said, "Okay." Well, I called the Major League Baseball Commissioner's office, spoke to someone high up, and said, "Can I get a copy of the press release that says that only vaccinated workers can come to work at the ballpark?" They're like, "No such press release exists. There's no policy in place." Um, so I said, thank you. So I went back, um, continued my email correspondence, and then there was a pivot, you know, from there. You know, well, um, we, don't, we don't have the ability to track all of our partners to know who requires it and not, so we're doing a blanket policy across the board. And let's be clear, we're not requiring you to do this, but if you don't, you can't go to the ballparks. Where Major League Baseball told me, there's nothing that would prevent you from doing your job at the ballpark as an unvaccinated person. So uh, that was the process. So as of August 1st, um, I was grounded. Um, games, if I was assigned to the games, I had to do them from my home. Now, we were still coming off of COVID, so you had some broadcast teams where one guy could be in New York, one guy could be in Atlanta, producer could be in Southern California, and we're doing a game off the monitors. So that existed, but and there were some of those games still after, after August 1st, but there were also some games where I was at home, my broadcast partner was in the ballpark, and the producer was in the ballpark doing the game. And you want to talk about trying to sync that up when you're, you know, there's a delay in, yeah. in TV and everything else. Um, but then also the fact that you're putting me out there because obviously I'm not at the ballpark, and there's a reason, and people are gonna, you know, it's gonna spread around, and you're you are tainting my my image and my character. 
Now, unlike Beth, Beth has a history of, of her stance and her religious you know, convictions. I've been a born again believer for you know, 34 years and it's no secret. I, you, you know, anyone in the company that's been around me would attest to that. I could have filed a religious belief, but in my spirit, I felt it was stronger than that in terms of this is a human right. This is not a religious belief. And religious um, belief or exemption for me, I didn't have a lot of confidence that they would honor it. And to your point earlier, and you talk about Disney ESPN, um, my stance and my conviction was this is a human right. And you can't take something that's an experiment, be willing to not assume or unwilling to assume any liability, but tell me I have to do this. And so uh, that's where I just kind of drew a line in the sand and, and that was it. And I, I knew that there would be consequences, but you know, you have to make tough decisions sometimes and you know, you gotta, gotta put your big boy pants on and, and go with it. Did either of you, and I, did either of you consider, and cause some people are just sitting at home saying, you know what, <clears throat> I'd have found me a nurse and got me a hundred dollar fake vaccine <laughs> deal. Because NBA professional athletes have done it. Uh, other people have done it. Did, did that ever cross your mind? Oh, absolutely. Um, well, <clears throat> I would say the thought came across the mind. The opportunities were there, but I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it because of the fact that this is a fight. And it's a fight for freedom. And it's a fight for bodily autonomy. And I felt personally, based upon my convictions and my backgrounds, and I don't, I don't knock anyone that did. People had to do what they had to do. People had families to take care of. They had different things. Um, I don't knock any of that. I just know what I had to do. And what I had to do, uh, my conscience would not allow me to do that because I felt like I needed to take a stand. And I needed to, um, you know, risk the consequences uh, personally. So um, never did. I know people that did and, and they're, you know, people in all sports uh, um, in different walks of life that, that did that and more power to you. Never crossed your mind, Beth? Oh yeah, it did. I mean, and I had people actually approach me saying, I can help you with this and I can mm -hmm. do this for you. But if you, you want to stand on your faith, I mean, I, I, I couldn't lie about something like that. I couldn't put something false forward against when I believed so firmly against it, when I knew that God did not want me to have it in my body. I did not want a piece of paper saying that I did put it in, even if it was false. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't do it. Nick, uh, of, of, for, for me, longtime sports writer, uh, what you've done blows my mind. I mean, coaches, are making millions upon millions of dollars. Yep. Uh, and and you're you're on a rocket ship. Your career is starting to crescendo. Head coach at Washington State, Pac-12, sky's the limit. You know, if things go right, maybe there's an NFL job, or maybe you're the next coach at Alabama, or who who knows what. Right. And but you decided to stand on truth and not take the vaccine. Now, you got a wedding ring on? I can't, no, or you're not so on there? You're married? Yeah. So I know you 
She I'm not the first to ask you this. No, no, I'm not about the first. You had to she answer knows to I love it. She knows I, I love it. You had to answer to your wife for. Yes, I did. <laughs> and, and how did you do that? <laughs> well, my not only myself, but there was four other coaches that didn't take it, and they had to talk to their wives. But you know what? It was all a very spiritual, faith-based families of all different races, black, Hawaiian, Samoan, white with me and, and another white dude. And it just was, we came very strong. Faith even grew stronger throughout the process. And uh, you, you don't do it for the money. Now, yes, the money's been very good, and that's some of the problems I think we're seeing in college football right now. But um, I didn't ask them for $3 million. They they offered it. I said yes. Now, my wife threw me the pen really quick to sign <laughs> it, but um, I really enjoyed the place. I enjoyed the people. Um, we had a lot of fun early on. Then COVID hit, and it was, I mean, there's thousand stories from there of how just hypocrisy. We talk about health and safety of players. That was that's just a nice term. The mission statement of the school or the athletic department. Nobody lives by that in this situation. It was, it was, it was, it was gross. And, you know, there was so many kids and, and, and their struggles, you know, just to get, just to get to that level and what may come next through their football career and what coercion was put on them. Um, I wish I said something earlier about that because I don't think those kids deserve that. They just wanted to get an education and play football and give themselves a chance to make the NFL. And that their thought it was, it, it was gross. I couldn't believe the game had gone to that level of, of, of deceit and, and coercion for those kids. What was the nature? You had a religious objection or just like, hey, no one's telling me what medication. No, I, 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 I filed a religious exemption, but I was brought in before. Um, I know somebody said it earlier, you know, um, the summer of 21 or maybe midsummer, early summer 21, you know, I went and got a antibody test. I forgot who said it earlier, but, you know, and then I had got it and I had, I had followed, followed Robert Kennedy for, for years before this. Um, and I follow a lot of stuff. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm a so curious your problem is you, you I'm a know curious too guy. much. Probably, That's your problem. probably. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm a curious guy. I'm not that everything I say is right, but uh, I like thinking, I like stretching my mind. I like history. I like all that stuff. And, and, and then, you know, 21 comes around. Well, here, here's one of the things that really kind of bothered me. We, 2020 season was canceled because the fear of COVID giving people myocarditis. That was the final straw in the 2020 season for the Pac-12. And I was cool with it. I'm not, I've had a kid die. I've had multiple kids die on teams that I've, and I don't want to go through that. And when I walk into homes, you know, I want their families to know that I'll, I'll take care of them. And I'm not, you know, take the three million. If, if this is going to cause one of our players to possibly die, I don't want anything to do with it. If that's what we're doing, that's what we're doing. Then the vaccine comes out. And I, I said, I said publicly, you know, if our guys want to get it, our guys don't want to get it. That's a personal choice. We just got out of this concussion era of in which I think college football has done a really good job of setting up parameters now for concussions. But, you know, where. You don't talk to that kid about going back in the game. If he's he goes to talk to the coach or the doctor, the medical people handle that. So I told our people, our guys, don't tell them to get it. Don't tell them not to get it. You know what I mean? That's not your job, and and stayed out of it. But then then there's this, you know, the vaccine. Then there's uh, myocarditis stuff coming up about 
the vaccine. And, and you get COVID in the 2020 season, right? You come back with this myocarditis thing. You got to go get extra EKGs. You got to get extra heart testing before you're allowed to come back. And so then the vaccine comes out and I'm like, and I bring this up to the administration. I said, don't you think we should continue these tests for these guys? Because now it's rumored. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but I could read. And if, if the vaccine is leading to myocarditis, don't you think we should check that? And just deaf ears. And then we're starting training camp 2021. And we want to start it clean, right? And I, the Pac-12 for media day before that had required the vaccine to go. So I couldn't go. I had to do it via Zoom. And uh, I put out a statement that, that they, they created a graphic for me. And I put it out on Twitter. Uh, I got off Twitter that day and I knew it was going to blow up. But I didn't want those two kids going down to media day and answering all these questions about my, why I'm not there. I'll own it. This is what I'm not doing. And I was a little disappointed in, in some people in the industry, coaches, because it's a small circle, you know. Um, not a lot of support, not a lot of standing up for, for that freedom of mind. But then we're coming into training camp, and, okay, the, unva the unvaccinated are testing. They're, they're wearing masks, blah, blah, blah. And then they got this, this talk of breakthrough cases, and they're popping up. And so I say in front of everybody, I say, well, don't you think everybody we should test and start this training camp clean? We got to get the season played, blah, blah, blah. No, we're not doing that. Only them vaccinated. I said, well, what science are we following here? You know, what are we trusting in? And I mean, there's m more stories that that just show the hypocrisy of 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 which led me to you know, what is the what is the overall reason for this? It doesn't make sense. And the poor kids, you know, they come off as crying. Coach, I got it because I don't want to wear a mask. Now they're putting the mask back on me. And I'm what am I telling them? What do I tell them? You know, all he wanted to do was get all he wanted to do is get a chance to play college football in the Pac-12. And, and, and I, I just thought it was gross. That was gross. Way, way away from what I thought our mission was in college football. And so when did they come in and say, you got to go? October 18th, 21. And before that, you know, boom, have a meeting, the AD, assistant AD, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you got four options. You resign right now. I'm like, I'm not doing that. Uh, you get the shot. I so said, I'm not getting that. You get a medical or religious exemption. And you need to tell me right now what you're going to do. And I said, I'm going to go for a religious exemption. And I was born and raised Catholic, 13 years Catholic school. Um, and this is all, we had never, and I'd met multiple families who had filed religious exemptions for their childhood vaccines for their, for their kids. And so I'm like, well, they just, they have to accept it. And who, who man or woman, I'd like to meet them is, is so smart and so powerful that they're going to judge my relationship with God. What mortal man is going to do that? And they couldn't answer it. And it was, it was, uh, it just kept unraveling the fraudulent reason for this. And it became a part where I, I just, I thought I was, I was like, Beth, I've said, they got to give it to me. We just won three straight Pac-12 games. That doesn't happen at Washington State that often. Right? I think I went back and happened 14, 15 times since I uh, got the coaching job there. So I'm like, things are going well. The team is bought in. Uh, we're, we're moving in the right direction. And then, boom, he brings me, brings me and fires me. And got a police over here going to escort me out to my car. Um, won't let me back in my office. I'm like, I know. First of all, I say, I'm going to drive you home. You're going to get in the police car. I said, I'm not getting in the police car for you to drive me home. 
He said, well, they want me to take you home. I don't care what they want you to do. I'm going to get in my truck and I'm going to go home and I'm going to go home to my wife and talk to her about this. And, but it's because they, the media was all waiting right there. They had a whole setup type deal going. So, you know, could have wrapped you in bubble wrap to make sure that you didn't infect anybody on the way out the door. Right. But even, even in the building, right? They got security cameras. You get the word, Hey, we're, we're, people are looking to see if you're wearing your mask while you're walking down the hall by yourself. I'm going, <laughs> what are we doing here? Do you think things have changed enough that you'll get another opportunity to coach? In Division One, Power Five. I don't know. I don't know. I, I would. I would like to think so. Uh, I volunteered at the local high school in my town uh, this year. And it was, there was a purity to it. Um, luckily for me, I was able to make a little bit of money for a few years. I can hold off for a year or so. But uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if they. they basically, I had colleges ask me, "Hey, you want to come in and, and clinic us on offense and talk?" you know in conference i'm like yeah i'll come i'm not doing anything i got nothing to do so and then they call back hey administration i don't want you coming around blah 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 and it's just people saying i want to hire you as oc uh gets to administration Mm-mm, ain't hiring them so it's just it's a it's, it's just a strange time do you think that resistance is at the pro level too the nfl you think Opportunities there blocked off for you? I, I I don't have any reason to think that it is, other than um, maybe they don't want somebody who speaks his mind. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, they don't want backbone, um, right, trust me, right. you know, or informed. I've never been yeah. approached by the NFL in any way. So, so what? how old are you? What do you think is next? What are you planning for? I'm going to wake up tomorrow, go home, see my family, uh, and just the best advice I got through this whole deal and, and is wake up and you got you got to go in small time frames for me you know ask God to give you the strength to do his will today and then do it again tomorrow do it again tomorrow be the best father I can be the best husband I can and, and hopefully do good things in my community did I give everybody a chance to say what they wanted to say anybody got it the only thing that I, I think was was wonderful about the Demar Hamlin thing was to see so many people worldwide, including ESPN, talk about prayer mm-hmm. and asking for God's help and asking for intervention, actually praying live on the air. I never, ever thought I would see the day. And I thought that was amazing. I, I agree. What, what I want to see now, not just at ESPN, but just as it relates to COVID, we need some repentance. Yeah. That's part of the process as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need some confessing of sins. You Catholics know what I'm talking about. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and some repentance. That's where we are right now as it relates to COVID because the information is now out there. that They were wrong. We were right. Let's repent and let's let's. Give Nick Rolovich and Chris Singleton and Beth Fair, let's give them jobs back and welcome them into society again. Or, you know, maybe I can get you, you know, to hear it fearless. We don't care whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated. Uh, <laughs> hey, my schedule's open. Yeah, me too. <laughs> we got time. I would like to say thank you because yeah. just being involved in this and listening to everybody's story um, has also given me even more strength that, and conviction that, that what we did or what I did, at least for me, was was the correct thing. I don't regret it one one minute. 
the only thing I wish I did was get a chance to be with that team uh, for a little bit longer because I just I had a lot of love for the players on that team. God is good, man. God is faithful, right? And uh, that's what we all cling on to, to at the end of the day. And uh, as much as we think things are guaranteed, um, they're not guaranteed. And so well, we, we do have a guarantee, and that's our anchor of hope, that no matter what, Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you always, even to the end of the world. And so um, that's what we stay anchored to. Is, is that hope. And um, it's all going to work out. Everybody that's been on here today has sacrificed something. And I don't, I don't look at it uh, personally as, oh, you know, the sacrifice that I made. Hey, you know, it's just life. ESPN doesn't owe me anything. No one owes me anything. God owes me his love because he's promised that and committed to that to me and his provision. Um, and I humbly receive that. But, hey, these are men. And, um, and women and people that make decisions who are, who are human, who uh, have a sin nature, and um, many times are far from God. So, you know, your trust sometimes can be misplaced and your faith can be misplaced. And situations like this perhaps help to, um, you know, sharpen that, galvanize that and really get it back to where it needs to be. He's good. Very good. There was a lot of people that were ready to throw that first stone. That's what I remember. <laughs> For mm -hmm. sure. Uh, hey, thank you guys. Uh, great job. I'm going to bring Steve Dace back, give him the final thoughts on all that we've heard today um, and, and where we should go from here. Uh, so Steve Dace will return next. Atheist, the secular world, the culture uses our imperfection, our sins to take, shut up. You, you're, you can't stand on truth. And if all it was was imperfection, it eliminated us from standing on truth, this would be a very quiet place. I'm trying to be as loud as I can and as transparent as I can to try to inspire other men. We know you're imperfect, you know you're imperfect. God's grace and mercy, mercy gives you the right to stand on his truth and to speak that loudly into the culture. We, we have to do that. You can look around and say, these guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC, the NIH, they got the president. Is transgender surgery for children? Colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. What's the alternative? So you're gonna stop fighting today and you're gonna let the government raise your kids? And you're gonna turn around and let them chop off your 12-year-old daughter's breasts and let them sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl? And you're gonna let them make the Bible hate speech? You're the last line of defense here because nobody else is gonna do it and God's gonna walk with you. This is literally worth dying for. I'm telling you, so it's like everybody, that's a nice little metaphor. This is it. If there's a hill to die on, this is it. The Overton window has been moved right in front of our children's bedrooms. And there are all types of people that are trying to climb up in the ladder. And every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the, the window sill, you kick the ladder back down, let them know, you, you move on to the other house because we're not playing that around here. Sometimes just standing up, just saying no, we're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. 
Just declaring that, that's victory enough. In prepping his disciples, he tells Peter, he's like, listen, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're gonna face some ups and downs in life and we're not gonna always get it together. But if we stay on the path, if we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after his way, he's even praying for us. Now, I, I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ. I appreciate that, but to have Jesus pray for me, that makes me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men. Once he's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folk out. You do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone, be confident in your position, and we're gonna inspire you. We're gonna eat, fellowship, listen to some music. It's gonna be the first of many roll calls that we do. So we're looking for soldiers. We're gonna put on our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers. They're, you're okay. You're not going to. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Yeah. A vaccinated person gets exposed to the virus. The virus does not infect them. The virus cannot then use that person to go anywhere else. It cannot use a vaccinated person as a host to go get more people. That means the vaccines will get us to the end of this. Now, what really stands out about white anti-vaxxers in particular, is that they act like their freedom has been taken, taken from them. And they have this weird habit of trying to do that by co-opting the history of actually oppressed people. The, the situation is so clear, the data are firm. If you get vaccinated, you are protected, even with the Delta variant, which, by the way, has a greater capacity to spread from person to person. And when you're infected, it has a greater likelihood of giving you serious disease. Some people who are so selfish are saying, it's my freedom and I don't want to get vaccinated. I don't want to do that. Okay, fine. But think about someone other than yourself. And if you don't believe that COVID is real and that can it can affect your health and possibly take your life, don't go to the hospital then. Those were the experts. The experts were all wrong. The trusted authorities were all wrong. They said, you know, these experimental medical trials would fix everything, harm no one. It was going to be a, a winner of death for the people that chose not to be vaccinated. They're wrong. The people you heard from today were right. They stood on principle. They stood on religious faith. They stood on common sense and chose not to take the vaccine and suffered the consequences. And people like Robert Kennedy and Ron Johnson have joined the fight on their behalf and have suffered the consequences for that. It's been an amazing show. I'm, I'm proud of this show. I've cried. I've laughed. I've been inspired. And now <clears throat> I want to be I want to know what to do and be told maybe a little bit about how I should feel, have the whole thing put in perspective. Nobody can do it better than Steve Dace. He's been on top of this topic uh, from the outset. He's written two books. He and Daniel Horowitz have 
been the leaders, the intellectual backbone of the resistance against the COVID pandemic. So I'm going to kick back, turn it over to Steve Dace and hope that Steve can put everything we've just heard today in a bow and maybe give us some advice, some hope on what we should do next and what should the consequences be. Jason, on August 6th of 2021, Rochelle Walensky, the, the head of CDC, went on what's allegedly national television. Now it's CNN, so we can debate whether that's <laughs> national TV or not. Okay, and, and in fairness, since it was on CNN, not a lot of people saw it. But August 6th was a bit ago. It was a minute ago. There's been plenty of time for word to get out since. Fair. On August 6th, 2021, Rochelle Walensky went on CNN and told Wolf Blitzer, admitted to Wolf Blitzer, that with the advent now of Delta variant, which is about two and a half variants ago, with the advent of Delta variant, the COVID vaccines no longer are protective against transmission of the virus and that the vaccinated may also spread the virus. She said this on CNN on August 6th of 2021. Did you hear a bunch of national media picking up that story and running with it at the time? How many of you watching this right now, me saying this to you is the first time you have heard that story, even though it occurred on August 6th of 2021. Almost one month later, on September 8th of 2021, President Biden, with non-existent powers that the Supreme Court later slapped down, attempted to impose something he had promised and claimed throughout the course of the first year of his presidency, he didn't have the power to impose. A poison mandate, a vaccine mandate. Literally mark of the beast stuff. You could not buy or sell without the mark. In this case, how do we buy and sell in our society? You gotta have a job. As my college roommate used to say, romance without finance, a damn nuisance. You gotta have a job. <laughs> So without a job, I'm not doing a lot of buying and selling in this economy, am I? And I'm not keeping a job unless I take that poisonous jab. And you've heard some of the stories today from those who were pressured along those lines and resisted. This means that a full month after the director of CDC, trust the experts, I'm following the public health officials, a full month after the director of the CDC admitted on quasi-national television, that the vaccines no longer stop the spread of the virus, and that even the vaccinated can spread the virus more than a month after that is when they put the boot to the throat with the draconian measures and mass poisoned America. A month after they already knew that this wouldn't stop transmission of the virus. We played a video on my show a few days ago, Neil deGrasse Tyson, America's celebrity scientist, the most famous celebrity scientist in America, head of the Museum of Natural History in New York City, was on a podcast pushing back on someone that didn't want to take the vaccine, telling him, it's not for you, dude. It's for you to stop spreading the virus to others. It doesn't stop the spread. They admit it, that it hasn't stopped it really the entire time. If you go look back at the data tablet, their data table that shows you when it was good against transmission, it's when we were also out of season for respiratory viruses for much of America, spring and summer. But even if you want to believe that against the original variant, it was really good, once Delta arrived, the efficacy of this jab fell apart. 
And yet they doubled down, they imposed even more draconian measures, poisoned even more people, demanded even more boosters, and then tried to get you to inject it into your children. You cannot reason with such madness. You cannot. You can only confront and punish it. This has happened before. There is nothing new under the sun, just new people under the sun who haven't heard it yet. History doesn't re just repeat, it also rhymes. What you saw in Germany in the 1930s and 40s, the seeds for that were sown in the late 19th century. With the advent of a junk science inspired by the nihilism of Darwin and Nietzsche and Thomas Malthus known as eugenics. The same scientist who would go and speak at Margaret Sanger's forums in the 20s as she was founding Planned Parenthood would later go on and work for the Third Reich. The idea of scarce resources, too many people don't have too many children, particularly of the non-white variety. We have to depopulate the globe. And of course, who gets to decide who should be and should not be depopulated? As the great prophet George Carlin once said, it's a big club and you and me ain't in it. Those ideas were allowed to ruminate for more than half a century in the West until they finally planted seed, took soil, and gave rise to the most cataclysmic, disastrous, and deadly war in all of human history. That's what it took to get rid of them. After that war was over, you heard some of that history earlier today from Senator Ron Johnson talking about Eisenhower demanding the camps to be opened so the world could see what his soldiers saw. To build that critical mass. Once that critical mass of exposure was met, the world demanded justice. And the mantra became, never again. There were trials at Nuremberg for the military political wing and front of this demonic evil. But there was a separate trial for the biomedical fascist manifestation of it. Someone had to say, just following orders. We'll conduct the experiments. We'll treat people like chattel. The example that was set, the punishments that were handed out, after a fair trial, of course, sent notice to the spirit of the age, you're not doing this on our watch ever again. And that notice lasted a generation. But now we have a new generation. The arguments of Thomas Malthus have resumed, returned. Planned Parenthood just rebranded. Make every child a wanted child. There's too many people. Bill Gates telling you if we have a successful vaccination program, we'll limit the excess population. I thought vaccines save lives. They're just running it back. Now, who's the there? Not Bill Gates or Planned Parenthood. Not even Anthony Fauci. He's the face of a hydra. Cut off the head of that snake and another head emerges. This is a demonic, demonically fueled entity. You can see it by how quickly people marveled at it. And all who looked upon the beast and gazed upon the beast marveled and said, who is like the beast? 
who would dare oppose it. You heard and saw some of those opposers here today on this show. But they're few in number. Most complied. Most went right from posting their mask in their bio to their Ukrainian flag, to their jab certificate, to their pronouns, or maybe even in reverse order. To show we're special. We're compliant. We're virtuous. We're one of the good people. Because humanity never leaves high school. We all want to sit at the cool kids' table. Of course, none of us ever figured out who decided who is and who isn't cool. This happened again because just like the previous generation, we let this go on for decades. We let this ideology into our schools. We let it into our colleges. We let it into our universities. You won't find almost virtually anyone in the professional class that has not been worked over by it to some degree. So that when the time was right, when there was the perfect moment, the perfect MacGuffin to prove that you never let a good crisis go to waste, this system that had been put into place after the long march to the institutions, it pounced on the opening presented by COVID, which they probably created anyway in a lab. So then if we're reliving history, and this has all happened before, just as the previous generations let this operate underneath their noses until it manifested into an evil they had to confront and then punish punitively. That's the history that we must now repeat. We must now repeat their antidote. We must confront this. We, have, we confront it by becoming ungovernable. We no longer comply with any of these edicts. We demand the people that we elect into government confront it. Dutifully and lawfully. We sat here earlier today talking with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and we mentioned the probe of New Orleans District Attorney Jim Garrison. One of the key findings that he claimed in that probe was that Clay Shaw a successful local businessman, was actually a CIA operative that had recruited Lee Harvey Oswald into the CIA. That was the central claim of his probe, the justification for it. And of course, he was laughed at. Clay Shaw went to the witness stand, portrayed by Tommy Lee Jones in the movie, claimed it wasn't true. Well, guess what the National Archives are now telling us? Clay Shaw was indeed a CIA operative and was the handler for Lee Harvey Oswald. It was true. How did we get that information? Because on a local level, outside of Washington, which had given into the narrative and the lie, on a local level, they were able to find some answers. This year, we have a tribunal, a grand jury taking place in the state of Florida. Chances are, you heard it from Ron Johnson earlier today, his colleagues are too far gone, or too ignorant, or too in on the scam. He admitted to us, virtually every member of the Trump White House that he knew was prophylactically like crazy. At the same time, we weren't getting access to them and being told they were banned. I don't know what we can expect out of of Washington, D.C. A friend of mine helped lead that fight, that speaker fight last week. They They had to basically shut the Congress down to get 72 hours to read a bill before they pillaged the, the Treasury. 
I don't know what we can expect out of them when it comes to justice along these lines, but there are places, governors across the country, that do have the power to do something about this. Local prosecutors that do have the power to do something about this. See, it was your entities on the state and local level that were charged with enforcing these edicts. So then you have a vested interest in finding out whether they were lawful, moral, or justifiable or not. Like the grand jury that's been convened in Florida. It is out of those places, I believe we will get some definitive answers. Like the Department of Health in Florida, run by Dr. Joseph Latipo, one of the original frontline doctors, still the only health department in America that recommended to stop giving these poisonous shots to children. The only one. That's where the hope is. That's where your pressure lies. That's your pressure point. To demand justice, there must be exposure, like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. said, mass exposure, specials like this that open, take a crowbar to that Overton window and demand the system wrestle with this information. But after the exposure, there must be justice. Anyone who's been a parent for 10 seconds can tell you, if you do not punish bad behavior, you are destined to get more of it. Moderna announced this week it's got a brand new mRNA for heart problems. Just shameless. Like my favorite country song, don't pee on me and tell me it's raining. Here's our new shot to save the issue that we caused. There must be a reckoning. There must be justice. It must roll on like a river, righteousness like a mighty stream. People must pay and dearly, and they need to be seen to pay and dearly after a fair and transparent trial, of course. If we do not do that, I promise there will be more needs for more specials like this in the not-too-distant future. And maybe it will be after they've killed even more people than they did this time. Thank you, Steve. Uh, thank you to all of our guests. Special thanks uh, to my good friend, Ken Maurer. He was instrumental in putting this together. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope your eyes have been open. I hope you've been inspired and encouraged. Uh, let's play some tomorrow. Singing about freedom, and we'll see you tomorrow. Waiting for the countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my sister, no relation. We all just wanna have freedom. Sitting on a Never been alone, I'm breaking my back for freedom Bless, we are living, get back, we are receiving all receiving We all wanna be free, we want freedom